yeah, like you said, goal line clearance is a lot of good play. Feisty at times, I think Arsenal's still count as higher than Chelsea. Keep up to date with the latest WSL action and the biggest interviews. I could never see myself putting on another jersey. Subscribe to the Koi Gig podcast stream on the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM. With Gillette, put your best face forward with our new and improved razors. All right, it's half past seven this Tuesday morning. You're very welcome along to OTBAM. It's Jaron Owen with you all the way through until 10. If you've got something you want to get off your chest, have at it. The YouTube comments are alive. You can also get us by text. 0879-180-180 is the number. You can WhatsApp us if you want. Or, of course, uh, you know, there's always the old mechanisms of Twitter, for example, at Off The Ball AM. Owen, good morning to you. Morning, Jer. How are you? Yeah, good. Excited about the return of the Champions League? Yes, yeah. Yeah, it returned last week, of course, and it returns again this week. <laughs> this weekly return, the weekly return. Yeah, I don't know what I do uh, from Thursday. To I Tuesday. moved house last week. I don't. I, if you could have told me that that Vladimir Putin invaded Ukraine last week, and I would believe you. And uh, yeah. that's how out of the loop I was with mm. uh, what was going on in the world. Yeah, how did the house move go? Uh, well, we'll see. It's There's an analogy there, isn't there, about moving house? <sighs> yeah, don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. So what did happen last week? Uh, what did happen last week? Well, you had you had uh, Liverpool in action uh, last week. They were other teams mightily, football. mightily impressive. Manchester Six City sides. were even more mightily impressive in their five uh, 0 win against uh, Sporting Lisbon. But Liverpool were the story of last week, weren't they? It was like, oh, they're, they're all in on the Champions League now. I mean, because uh, the league is over, yes. the sword and the Premier League is is over. They can finally uh, decide that. Those eggs that are in the basket of the Premier League don't need to be in that basket anymore because Manchester City are going to run away with this thing. Mm, eggs in and the basket. I, and I say that as if, um, as, it, as if we weren't saying that ourselves. We all thought that it was, it was completely over. So that's what happened last week. That, that's good. That was your, um, yeah, good recap there. Yeah. Yeah. On the, the English sides anyway and the, the Premier League. Yeah, excellent. Okay. There's lots going on today. There sure is. I mean, Champions League tonight is going to be Lille against Chelsea. Uh, is that is that what you mean? Is that what uh, so I meant? Like the stories and the 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 the, the eddying currents of the various narratives that we've been covering on this show for four and a half years. But that's okay. You can focus specifically on Lille and Chelsea tonight. That's your that's your lead. Okay. Well, what's going on? Go on. Well, what's your, what are you looking at? Keen Tracy's going to join us a little bit later on. He's picked his own team. He's picked his team and he's picked Andy Farrell's team. And there's a significant difference between the two. Andy Farrell's team has Johnny Sexton in playing because he's the captain against Italy. Really, really keen to see what Sexton can do against Italy because I have no idea how he might perform against the weakest team in the Six Nations. He's not on Keane Tracy's team, mind you. That was interesting, I thought. Okay, so so you're not having this, this notion whatsoever that Sexton needs to play this weekend? Clearly, I mean, I think people can get that from your tone. Why does he need to play this weekend? What? Tell me exactly why he needs to play this week against Italy. What are we going to learn from Sexton playing against Italy, starting against Italy? that we, we, we don't already know. Johnny Sexton good at rugby. Oof, wow. That's a shock to the system. Excellent. Whereas, you know, we, we've been counting the number of matches there are until the World Cup kicks off. It's like less than 20 significant test matches, really. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not about learning anything. Maybe it's about just t- winning. taking a country of 60 million people Smashing and saying, them. screw you, we're better than you at this one thing. You're better than us at literally everything else. Any video you make video. us feel like uh, inferior human beings in every other walk of life. Uh, but in rugby union, we are better than you, 60 million people. Now that you're not allowed to wear shoes anymore, now, now that shoes got cancelled, are the Italians still better than us at everything? Yes. Are they? Uh, not, not, the gap is closed because shoes got cancelled. But uh, it hasn't closed enough to the point of us uh, breathing down their necks just yet. Do you think they know shoes got cancelled? Because it's like it was kind of their thing. 
their their excellent leather shoes was something that would have set them apart on a, on a global scale. They they literally did world class shoes. Shoes, cars, pasta, and not all those three things have been cancelled yet. It's the only thing. Well, uh, pasta, pasta, cancelled. A, a tricky, tricky enough time there for a while. It was like the whole no carbs thing. It's like you can't be having pasta all day every day. Footballers used to have pasta before matches, and then they'd go out and go I'm a bit sluggish today. I wonder why. They, I wonder what that extra kilo of like slosh that's going around in my stomach. I wonder what impact that's having on my ability to. I reached my top speeds for a five kilometers match, and then that stopped. So you know, there's a, there's a bit of pasta that uh, didn't survive its first encounter with the enemy. Mm-hmm. Having said that, I mean, obviously, we all still love it. Yeah, I, I think I think pasta survived. So the talk us through why your shoes have been cancelled. Uh, anytime there's a photograph of anybody wearing shoes on the internet, the shoes get circled, and people are like, "Oh, he's wearing shoes." What are those? Oh, look at that! He's got shoes on. Okay, right. I I actually hadn't realised this. You haven't seen this meme? Uh, no, I. Uh, I the fashion police are out. The alarm goes off. The siren wails, and the crowd arrives to stare and gulp at somebody who still wears shoes. Right. God, that's that must be a tough place to be. I I can admit this morning that I am wearing shoes. People don't know that. No, you're not. People don't. People don't know that when they watch us. At, you're at not home. wearing shoes. You're wearing trainers. Um. Okay, yeah, but like they are shoes. Like no, no, no. The, the leather shoes got cancelled. Okay, so I didn't mean like shoes in general. I thought you meant like everybody. bare feet. Yeah. What? Well, I mean, you said shoes. You out again last night, Owen? Well, is, is this what we're getting to? You know, you Was s- it a good gig? <laughs> you said shoes. Yeah, I did say shoes. Shoes. <laughs> yes, shoes. Shoes. Inca- Not trainers. No, shoes are, are, are encapsulate everything. No, no. They yes, don't. they do. And then there are obviously shoes, shoes, and then there are runners and trainers or sneakers, whatever which are uh, lingo shoes, you want which to we use. All know. Yes, they are. I shoes can't are. I have to teach you this. Shoes are. You're teaching me these things normally. Shoes are things that go on your feet. Okay, full stop. Except for sandals, you can't, wouldn't really call them shoes. OTBM is brought to you by Gillette. Good morning. Start with Gillette, your best face forward with their new and improved razors. Are we done with the Italian shoes? You were the one who brought it up. Well, I mean, are you are you done with uh, with cancelling shoes? Uh, I didn't cancel them. I I think that if I was Italian, I'd be I'd be lobbying to get them to make a comeback because they're so good at them. Yeah. We don't even need to. We don't even. This is a bad week. We don't even need to like. I don't dump don't, on our opponents. There's no reason to. It's like, come yeah. on, let's, let's just have fun. I would prefer if the game was in Rome every year. Like we could give them home advantage every year. That would be nice. Actually, it would be. Is, is that, that be how you fix the Six Nations? Just have the tournament. Everybody in Rome. goes to Rome. Yeah. Yeah, that could be. That could be one for way ten maybe. years, right? To even things up. That, that could certainly be an idea. It, do, it does feel that your your heart isn't in it as much as your heart was in slacking off Croc Monsieur's two weeks ago at this point. Well, so Croc, I think that probably tells the Italian people all they need to know about their expectations for this weekend. Croc Monsieur is not as good as we established as the Grilla Toasties. Yeah, they're, they're certainly. Uh, is, is, is there sorry? Is there a free pass that we can get in here before we move on to actual sports news? What's the fancy Qu- quickly, one? Quickly, can that we? Called? Spurs a tour. What? There's a there's an Italian restaurant around here called Sprezzatura and if they're listening they've got very good pasta. All oh, right, okay. I, I I was actually thinking of the the brand that we cook ourselves because you know we can do that as opposed to, but that's all right. Whatever. Uh, Sexton to start. You want him to start. You're no, a fully signed a, up I'm, member of it. Sexton or bus for Ireland. Not at all. Come the World Cup. Not at all. Because he was so good at the last World Cup. I'm being completely devil's advocate when, when I'm asking you why. Um, what, to, to, to explain yourself and, and your your Sexton take I think Sexton's actually proven this season that he doesn't even need to be better than a little bit I mean he came back for Leinster and played pretty well immediately after being out for a while so if he were to be chosen for the England game I don't think he necessarily needs the Italy game for it that it, it is worth trying things out like it, it depends kind of what else he wants to do with the team right because like if you're looking at 
other elements of it, like I, I think Robbie Henshaw's pro- probably going to get in this weekend just because he needs he maybe needs games in rated sex and doesn't. Like when you look at someone like Dan Sheehan, who's now I guess hooker number one in Andy Farrell's depth chart, you'll probably want to accompany him with two first-choice props. So the, the, it's not necessarily you take a risk in every position. Not take a risk. You, it's not that you necessarily play your second-string player in every position. I don't think I'd be playing Dyke for a lot. Certainly I wouldn't start him. If, you know, if, if there's a 20 minutes at the end of the, bench, of the game, fine. But like, mm. this is the bit where you just need to get clever with your resources. No. Like we're going to win by twenty to forty-five yeah. points. Yeah, like and also if we play really badly. We'll only win by twenty points. But here's the thing as well: Dan Sheen's also really good. And so maybe, why does he need? Maybe he doesn't necessarily. Why does he need Furlong beside him? I give Dan Sheen a game because he's only getting up to speed with international rugby, and you want him to understand exactly what it's like uh, a bit more. But like he he's going to be fine. Maybe you don't. Maybe it's Healy and Bealham beside him, and and maybe that's a front row. That's that's totally fine, and and that's the way he sees it. I'm just saying that. It's different maybe with the, the out half position that in a way that maybe your front row isn't. That I, I do think that the it's gonna I think for Sheehan you pick a second row who he's familiar with. So you pick James Ryan and you let him captain the side because that's like a big moment for him again to captain the team back to back. An opportunity for him to get that bit more experience. I, I see that. Like I'm not saying it's a full subs team playing, but I definitely like you're getting players game time who've been in Portugal, who've been in the squad. You're getting the opportunity for them. Let's see Balakun again. Yeah. Like James Lowe is back. He's in um, um, Keane's team. Yeah. You yeah, want to okay. see it. Like the, the players that are kind of like first choice as well. I guess Furlan does play into that. I guess you, you, there's not much to be learnt about them. Like one of those players as well is someone like Hugo Keenan, who is going to be first choice 15 for the next little while, regardless. So this would be the perfect week to try out someone like Michael Lowry and to, to, to see what, what they looked like at 15. But I guess just the, the point I'm making is that to, to try out somebody at a position uh, and to give them a full crack of the whip, it's nice to have first-choice players beside them. But maybe a clear so bad that that's actually not a requirement. So I, I see the point you're making, that you want to give people the opportunity to play in a combination that would look like a combination that you would pick in a big game. Yeah, so like, it's not I mean, just everybody new. You're not going to have 15 new players all burst through at the one time chances are when it comes to the World Cup team there will be three or four players that are different barring injury like I, I know um, in, in Keane's piece as well he's talking about the possibility of moving Doris over to eight burn back to six and seeing what that back row looks like that'd I'd be like pretty interesting that, yeah, yeah. Um, obviously like I mean it's maybe put Coombs in there <clears throat> Coombs is, is definitely some somebody that, that I think we were all pretty excited to see once the Six Nations squad was announced but once these squads get announced the thing that we're most excited about is the guys with the asterisk beside them or two or three caps and we're like okay this is going to be very interesting to see how they get on in an Ireland cap, but, uh, camp but as it turns out they, they rarely get meaningful game time so it becomes a big talking point at the start and then we kind of forget that these players are even in the squad and Coombs is one of those people Hume is one of those players but as I say I wonder is he going to try and get Henshaw up to, to game time but it could be Henshaw and Hume that might be interesting wouldn't it yeah yeah like so it, it's um, there's a, a multitude of of different constellations that he could go with this weekend uh, and I guess we might learn a thing or two about what he's thinking or, or, or what he sees the future as by his team selection this weekend Maybe they pick the team that they want to play against England to give them a run out together so that their confidence is really high going into the England game. You know, I, I, I can see how you would make the case for that, but it doesn't feel like that's the best long-term thing to do. Like, England are in a situation where we're going to go to Twickenham, it's going to be a close game, 
and like whether or not the, the team played against Italy is not going to be the defining characteristic of that game mm. whether or not we play well on the day will not be decided by somebody had 80 minutes against Italy so like get as much experience to the team as you possibly can put people under a little bit of stress where you're a bit inexperienced so we're going to put you in against this Italy game as, as stressful as that can be mm. like the week off after Italy in many ways actually kind of makes this not ideal <laughs> or else it's well, just a, sort of open season for, uh, for, for trying things out this weekend I guess Right, OTBAM is brought to you by Gillette. Good morning. Start with Gillette. Put your best face forward. They're new and improved razors. Here's what's coming up between now and 10 o'clock this morning. We'll bring you the power rankings in a couple of minutes. Michael Marr, the uh, London coach, is going to join us at 10 past eight. Uh, native-born son of London and uh, ripping up with uh, London footballers in Division 4 at the moment. Sports pages at 8.30. Keen Tracy at 8.40. Graham Hunter at 10 past nine to preview the week's Champions League action and some highlights from Monday Night Rugby yesterday. Right. Uh, do we want to talk a little bit about the fact that maybe the island of Ireland is going to have a quarter of the games of the Euros according to a leaked memo that the political correspondents are getting access to ahead of uh, something going to government today you buying this? like it's interesting isn't it like first my first thought is what's the feasibility of this and who's actually going to host the games and the other thing is when do we talk about the island of Ireland when it suits us when the politicians are selling a dream to Taxpayers in the Republic, they're like, "Oh, this is an all-island thing, and we're gonna we're gonna end up this will be when when else do we talk about it? Are we allowed to talk about we, the fact that we would like qualify a, for a tournament? And a United Ireland is that we're not allowed to talk about that because that's a political hot potato. Oh no, sorry, we're, we're all agreed that we do want it at some nebulous point in the future. This is just uh, for me. I'm like, oh, it's in the front of the examiner. Paul Hosford has it. I haven't seen it anywhere else, so it's a it's a good scoop in in terms of. Um, Somebody in the political world has decided to get this story out there. And um, will there be a quarter of the games on the island of Ireland? And what does that mean? Is it Casement Park? Because it can only be Casement. It's great news for them. I would certainly... Ulster GA are doing a great job of um, making sure that that is front and centre of this. Uh, and you know, I'm 100% behind the redevelopment of that. And if that's, if that's what this is, and then it is a genuine island of Ireland benefit... But like, are we, you know, what what are we doing here? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, you're excited about this. You think it'd be great? I don't like. I'm not. I'm not sure where you got that impression. Asking, from. That's like, a good question. I, like, I, I, the, the whole idea of us of us hosting the Euros in the first place is not something that's necessarily exciting me because it feels that we've kind of been down this road before. We've got a lot further down this road in a more real sense. I would have said. I would have said even with like the rugby World Cup bid because that felt like. An Irish bit, again, Island of Ireland stuff, but uh, an Irish bit as opposed to us being a part of something. Granted, it's not as uh, uninvolved as, say, the Euros bid was. And I guess, in a way, being uninvolved is a good thing because there isn't as much of a cost on it as there would have been if you're the main host for this. A quarter is a big enough figure when you're you're thinking about it. Like, if if it was to be the regular 2014 tournament, I think that's 51 matches. So that's 12 games on the island of Ireland, um, according to this memo so uh, they're reporting that the Aviva and Croke Park are penciled in for the bid but no decision has been made yet on whether Parky Cueve or any other stadium outside the capital would be used so uh, I guess if you had the Aviva Parky Cueve and Casement or you throw Croke Park into that mix as well and then you've got three you've got four games in each of those stadiums that seems like a reasonable enough ambition doesn't it three games in each of those stadiums or four four 
So that'd be sixteen games. No, for, uh, sorry, three out of that four would be. Okay, used. sorry. So I, like I'm not like I mean, does 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 Parky Queef have to go through the, the feasibility study of you know what, the access to the stadium, transport? Ooh, how you I was going to say you presume they pass all that stuff, and then you mentioned the access to the stadiums, like I'm yeah. not sure in the parking. So. I'm not. I can't quite recall. You I can I, put buses on. Say this is yeah. the only access area. No one's allowed to drive past this point. Buses only, right? And like it's a, it's it's pretty well connected as a as a city, I guess, and it's it's got its own airport and and all that, so it's fine. Like I'm, I, I guess it was uh, smaller towns that let the the Rugby World Cup bid down in the past. Um, like I, I, I my natural assumption was that this would be a, a smaller number than uh, than a quarter of the games, but uh, it seems that we really are uh, sitting at the table. Well, we'll see. Yeah. That's what the that's what the dream is being sold to the government, and then ultimately it comes back as like you got six games, lads. Like. But that we were told 12. That we gave you all this money for 12. Like, yeah, but you got six. That's how this works, right? Oh, we're getting 12 games. Let's wait and see. Everybody's getting excited. They're like, oh, everybody in Cork is like, yeah, we got three games, four games. Sorry, you got no games. Yeah, and how, and how many of those games would be, would be good games as well? Be- all the games are at Wembley. There's like 15 games at Wembley because, you know, they've got to pay off the billion dollars that they spent on, on building that the, the only way to wrestle a game from Wembley is just to prove that Cork people can put a firecracker up their arse as well and then they'll be like yes you're all yours that's what the football authorities like if you'd like to send us a video of a firecracker up your arse this morning we will forward it on to the government it's, part of the it's, uh, it's 7.47 um, John says I don't think Joey Carby will learn much playing with a second string team against Italy but Jack Carty definitely would Maybe it's an opportunity for Carty. Maybe Carty starts and uh, Carberry's on the bench, or maybe Sexton starts and Carty's on the bench. Carberry at fifteen says Mark might be interested in seeing that. That's fair enough. Uh, most of the team does not need to play this week, says MCO. Most of the team doesn't need to play this week. That's the stage where we've got to where there is no jeopardy involved in playing Italy in the Six Nations because they're so bad at this point, and that's why you kind of feel like it's a waste of time playing. Uh, Sexton in this game it just doesn't feel like we're going to get anything from it so uh, at least you get a ticket if it was in Rome every year says MOC I think um, I think uh, people have been finding it relatively okay to get tickets for the home Italy game yeah I haven't, I haven't uh, tried to be honest it's I think it's the one that, that probably most people would, would uh, have ease getting tickets for like it'll be it'll be the game and um game against Scotland potentially which could be hard if, if Ireland go to Twickenham and, and end up getting a win there could be a championship on the line on that final day Certainly the atmosphere would be good Scotland's known party poopers when it comes to uh, us winning something on the final day in the past uh, they ruined our goodbye to Cork Park of course One last thing there's a potential for the GA to rebrand post-merger What do you think of this? Yeah like it's so first of all like what the, the point of the rebrand is is what exactly? Well, a new organisation will be born from the mergers. Mm-hmm. It won't just be the GA as it stands. It'll be the GA, the LGFA and the Camogie Association. Yeah. So what do you call that organisation yeah. afterwards? Like, I guess, w- without rebranding, what you're saying is that people are coming in under the GA umbrella as opposed to this being kind of like a mutual meeting halfway. And uh, I guess there is still quite... like There's a, there's a, a nature to looking at the, the GA as... Uh, a relatively archaic organisation that have the LGFA and the Camogie Association sitting on the outside looking in and do, does that automatically change once they come in does it, or does it feel like this is very much a GEA controlled thing or cannot like on one part of me is thinking that people automatically associate Camogie and women's football with GEA anyway and people call the GEA 
like Gaelic Games, the GEA, and it, and it is just kind of it is a very strong brand if you want to refer to it as a brand. The, the whole GEA it is pretty inseparable from the sport. It's even stronger than say UFC and MMA, for example. So, like uh, I do think there is a strength to that current brand, but I can completely understand why that would want to change because it is a new organization. How long would this take? How how many years over which we would see a rebrand? How long would that be to be feasible for? Would be a couple of questions that I would have. But it's going to be a new organisation when this does eventually happen. Uh, so maybe that needs to come under a new name as well. So you're in favour of it? Yeah, I can, I, can, I, can, I can absolutely see the reasons for it, yeah. All right. If anybody out there has a view, 0879-180-180 is the WhatsApp number. You can leave a comment in the YouTube stream. It is 7.50, though. It's time for us to get to the erroneous power rankings. So many critics, these pundits. I absolutely adore them, lads. I have unbelievable time for them, but they're, they're a great bunch, but it's not acceptable. I'd like to play the hard man when, when they're on it. It's not very pleasant when you're trying to manage a team. All you're looking for is a bit of civility and a bit of decency, but they just dismiss you like, like you, you know, you have nothing to do with the bloody occasion. Right. Feeling pressure? Not really. There wasn't that many games the weekend. A lot of them got called off, so it makes things... Uh, a little bit easier than they usually would be to move things around. Uh, we'll start with uh, team number 32 and move uh, all the way up to uh, the top. Uh, Waterford are down to the bottom place, uh, dropping a couple of spots. They lost to, to Carlo at the weekend. Carlo got off bottom spot by beating them. Uh, Wexford are up to 30 as well. Uh, then Tipperary are down. They didn't play at the weekend. You've got Leitrim there at 28. Uh, kind of the wind taking out of their sails a little bit at the weekend against London they were 7 points to 1-1 up at half time and ended up losing that game to London and then Wicklow ended up getting beaten by Antrim so they're down but uh, London one of the great stories of the league so far um, their win against Leitrim brings them up to 26th uh, that 2 point win they won by 1 point against Carlo, 1 point against Waterford 2 points against Leitrim they've been grinding these games out and Are they the greatest comeback team of all time? Yeah well possibly <laughs> Haven't they been massively down in all their games? I think so yeah I, um, certainly were against Carlo and against and against Leitrim um, the Connacht's uh, airdom was in use for the coaching conference at the weekend so uh, they were playing on the field beside the, co- the, the airdom I think which uh uh, but uh, the surface obviously uh, is, is excellent and uh, that's why it was uh, it was moved there to, the, to that centre of excellence um, so London yeah they're like, they were suddenly you'd have to say in the conversation for promotion because Leitrim were in the conversation for promotion <laughs> so they've beaten them and, and they, they are now uh, subsequently there like I, I do think Tipperary will probably get better and Cavan are the strongest team in the division and they also have to play Sligo so there's three very difficult games for them still to come in this but I tipped Le- on free fall they are they are but um, I do think that there is a floor to how far they can fall and uh, and I think it'll see them win a couple of games but we'll see maybe not like I, I, Leitrim was probably London's toughest game toughest opponent on paper so far and they ended up beating them so things are looking excellent for them at the moment for Mana their game against Leitrim was postponed they're still at 25 uh, Sligo didn't play either they were due to play Cavan Longford are down because a couple of teams have moved up uh, Antrim another uh, team who are down and I'll tell you why because this little midsection here this second page is just a complete mishmash of results but I think I'll put some clarity on it so Antrim are in a 22nd uh, they have beaten Wicklow at the weekend and uh, they've also gone down and they've also gone down now I'll, come I'll, on I'll tell you why so they lost they lost to Limerick but Limerick also lost at the weekend so I wanted to keep Limerick ahead of Antrim but then I wanted Limerick to be below the team that beat them which was Loud. 
and uh, obviously Loud had a poor enough start to the season losing to Leash but they've come back well since then that draw against Longford beating Limerick by two points seven unanswered points in the last 15 minutes to win this game they're finishing games really strongly at the moment and then Leash I think Leash are better than all those teams uh, so they're in at uh, 19 their game against Fermanagh was postponed uh, their defeat so far was to Westmeath but they beat Loud by five points so I think yes there is a lot of uh, moving around in those uh, teams from 23 to 19 but I think I think that's the correct order 18 then is uh, Offaly who were down one uh, their uh, game against Galway was postponed uh, Cork then in at 17 still falling they kind of seemed to lose the fight in the second half of their match against Derry you've got Keith Riggin constantly positive he is confident that games or that things will turn around for Cork over the next little while he's he's confident in the young players that they have I get the sense from his comments though that he's not necessarily talking about this year that it's over the next couple of seasons that he's expecting uh, a Cork comeback they play Galway next that's going to be a very very tough fixture for them Galway are flying at the moment in that division even though they didn't play at the weekend so it's a defeat a draw and a defeat for Cork so far in Division 2 so they're, they're definitely in the, the bottom tier of that division and, and could get relegated uh, Cavan stay put at number 16 uh, they didn't play at the weekend they were due to play Sligo uh, Down have uh, moved up because of I guess some of their the magnitude of their defeats in contrast with some of their counterparts in Division 2 for example Cork like I mean they took less of a hammering against Derry than Cork did they lost by 6 points to Galway which I think for a team in the lower reaches of Division 2 is actually going to be smaller than some of the teams around them and they could have beaten me the weekend they hit the crossbar in the last second with a fisted effort they didn't score in the second half though uh, but that being said Meath only scored 3 points if there was a three way triangular tournament between Down, Meath and Cork it'd be like Five draws. <laughs> Every chance. Every chance. Yeah. And if you threw Cavan in there to make it a four team. Cavan Cav- Cav- are uh, quite an unknown quantity at the moment because they're playing weaker teams. Yeah. Um, but like they, their wins so far have been by four points and by six points. They're not hammering teams in Division 4. But then again, why would you? Maybe they just feel at the start of the and season. the weather that, conditions you know, are so bad that it's hard to... It is hard to, to judge things on, on magnitude. But uh, we sure as hell will try our best here to, to try and read into them a lot. That means down second half I wonder is that an early contender for worst half of football of the season uh, as I said it was three points scored in that second half they were all scored by me uh, they were all scored from freeze down didn't manage a, a single score in that half me I'd say were pretty happy at half time that was the the video that's doing the rounds of the sideline where it's an attempted score to the far post that ends up basically going out for sideline or yeah. just maybe it was wide yeah it, like oh the conditions were like, yeah. like holy to, to, to blame for this like but me I'd say at half time we're like right we got a massive wind three points down we can do this and they didn't end up uh, getting the job done uh, they play awfully on Saturday That's a, like, there's a lot of those games now in Division 2 this weekend that are huge and uh, we, we're reaching that point of the season where teams are going to be playing to stay in Sam Maguire uh, this summer so Mead stay put at number 14 it feels as they could fall further from there West Mead stay put at 13 their game against Longford was postponed and then Clare got another draw Clare I mean they have been knocking on the door to get into Division 1 over the last little while and it feels that this is a relatively similar story this year where it's hard to be overly critical of them but they could have beaten Cork and they drew with them. Maybe the same couldn't be said of, of Roscommon. Roscommon ahead of them in the power rankings so maybe to get a draw against them uh, was a good result uh, and it was Team 12 against Team 11 and uh, the result was a draw so 
I mean, the most power perfect, are working. Uh, flawless power rankings of all time have done it again. And one of the biggest winners from that game was the, the surface in Dr. Hyde Park, getting a lot of credit for the way it held up uh, in the conditions. So, yeah, Ross Common, Claire, draw Ross Common at 11. Uh, at number 10, then, is Kildare. Would have been a bit of a problem for me had they actually beaten Toronto at the weekend, but, you know, if my granny had balls. Hey! Should you be my granddad? It's the most overused phrase in the show at the moment, isn't it? It's like, it's, it's real meme. Um, so uh, I just said I'd get that in there. So, but um, no, unfortunately, they didn't beat Tyrone. They lost by a point. Derry are in at number nine. Uh, they beat Cork by nine points. Ray's been in touch to say Derry are actually going to go from Division One to Division Four and then back to Division One in eight years. Yeah, <laughs> it's some story. It's a, I, I mean, I remember when the league games they were like at this time of the year where they were like, oh, Derry could be contenders here, and then collapse. <sighs> the air comes out of the balloon bouncing down to Division 4 and straight back up it is mad like, I think they, it was was it 2014 I think it was the year they got to the league final and was from there, there it was, just was like, there a really good centre forward Mark um, yes kicking big points with his left foot um, oh my god he was class yeah I have a very strong image of him in the winter time the, the conditions being absolutely crazy and him just being able to glide through and you're like he could do this all year and then the team just fell apart uh, like I mean Mark Lynch Mark Lynch that's um, it they do obviously have uh, Shane McGuigan at the moment who's looking back to his best kicked 8 points at the weekend they look fit is a thing that Benny Herring goal that was scored it was like this blistering counter attack against Cork Cork should have scored a goal at the other end but Derry just hit them on the counter attack and again maybe there's this just everything has to be put into, into the context of the conditions maybe there was this kind of like gust at their backs that just made them look ferocious and like almost um, I don't. I think Liverpool esque in their counter attacking. They've been coming for two years, though. Yeah, they're flying like conditioning wise, and they they probably know that they have to peak early as well if they want to survive in Ulster. And they have a style of play. They have patterns. Everybody understands what they're doing. They've got the the piece with Slock Neil that they made a couple of years ago it was really important to them. They've got leaders throughout the team. I'm really impressed with Derry. I think that they could go very very close this year. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're one of the teams who you were talking about. Who at night is lying there going, "Geez, we can do it this year." I think so. Like, I, I, I mean, you'd expect Kerry to beat them. Kerry would be four to five point favourites in a in an All Ireland quarter final if that match was played in four weeks' time. But the fact that if if Derry were to get there, they'd have had to come through a lot, right? Yeah. And they'll be battle hardened in a way that I don't think Kerry would really like to play Derry in an All Ireland quarter final, where Kerry have cruised through, whooped everybody in Munster, and oh, we're superstars, we're Harlem Globetrotters. Like, yeah, well, you know, this isn't. You're not in Harlem anymore, Toto. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I'd agree with that. And, like, I mean, you should be saying the same things about the teams below them, like Kildare and Ross Common, but is there something about this Derry team just feeling fresh and new? And I, and I know that there is a new element definitely to, to Kildare this year as well, but that Derry come in without baggage? I know that there was a tough way to lose to Donegal last year, but uh, it's like just been a constant rise and it's like, I let's think, see how far this thing can go. I think there's a, I think there's a genuine thing about growing up in Ulster football. You learn how to be flinty and chippy and hard to beat and aggressive in everything you do. Whereas that's not the case. Ross Common and Kildare have loads of lovely footballers. They're great on the ball. They're really fast and they're skillful. But if you were if you were to just put the two squads up against each other, not knowing anything, and go, who's going to win in an MMA fight? Who are you going to pick? Mm. Um, like or is, is that a, like that would be an interesting question Kildare against Roscommon in that scenario no Derry against oh, well, a triangular Derry, tournament Derry, who's going to win Derry beat, beat, beat them easily but they, they do on, on football as well 
like it's interesting looking at the, the recent history of, of Kildare and Roscommon like, and if you're eyeing up one of those top teams like Kildare and Roscommon have both proven that they can do it against Mayo for example and I know maybe Mayo's not the, the litmus test maybe Kerry and Dublin are the litmus test and Tyrone but uh, because Mayo have had a habit of getting to an All-Ireland final and then the following year maybe disappointing a little bit or, or just kind of hiccuping their way through the, through the qualifier certainly in that those, those mid-2010s uh, period and Maybe that's not the thing you, you judge them by, but they have shown glimpses in the past of being able to show up in the big day. The problem is the very next day they would collapse and they would have a poor result. And I, I think those same failings probably exist for them there. But can you put them into that category of teams you're going to bed at night dreaming of, of Sam Maguire? They might be deluded, but I think they can possibly dream. Derry may be less deluded and I think that they'll uh, quite possibly cause a scalp and ulcer this year. Galway didn't play at the weekend. They're still in at number eight. Like... It would be a surprise at this point if it's not Galway and Derry going up. I know that it is competitive and I know that Roscommon and Clare will have uh, something to say about that come the end of this. But it does feel that, that Galway and Derry are just a couple of inches ahead of them at the moment. It'll be epic if they don't. Somebody will do something amazing. It'll ha- that's what it's going to take to stop those two. Yeah. Uh, Donegal uh, are kind of one of the big fallers up here, to be honest. like This, this has happened because... Michael Murphy wasn't playing at the weekend, but there Can is I just a future say, coming. Michael, Michael Murphy went off. There's a future coming. Okay, finish that. Go on. There is a future coming where Michael Murphy will not be injured and will not be out for just one or two weeks and, and Donegal will have to, to play without him. And they just look completely directionless without him. He is the most important player to a singular team in the country. Like you take him well, That's out fair of, enough Okay Out like, of any He's an all time great so, yeah, He is But there are other all time greats Playing football at the moment as well And you, you take them out of their team They don't have the same impact He has the most impact on their team More impact on On one team Than any other player in the country Like David Clifford didn't start on Sunday For example Will David Clifford go down As a, as a better footballer Than Michael Murphy one day Quite possibly But he doesn't have The same level of importance To his team As Michael Murphy does to his team uh, What if Johnny Shea hadn't played well, there, that actually could be a, a, an interesting conversation. Is Shawnee O'Shea more important to carry than David Clifford is? At the moment, you'd say, given that... The freeze. Well, and also, you can stop the ball getting into Clifford. When Clifford gets the ball, it's almost impossible to stop. But you yeah. can't stop the ball getting into him. The main conduit seems to be... Uh, a lot of it, A lot of it's going through uh, Shawnee O'Shea at the moment. So, maybe. I, I take your point. You would have to say that you would expect the strength and depth in Kerry to be significantly better than that in Donegal, given yeah. the throughput of talent. So, I think that like that's a reason for it for sure. I, but um, Michael Murphy went off after about twenty minutes, twenty-five minutes against Kildare, and they still won that game. Still won the game, yeah. So I think you're overreacting to a bad performance against Kerry because you were there, and you're like, ah, oh, this team are crap, and and also you're not giving Kerry full. Kerry made progress through the league. I think that. Um, a lot of you're teams. Call, you're, calling this, you're calling this a dishonest uh, dropping of Donegal. I think that you're overreacting madly to like recency bias. That um, come the Ulster Championship, Donegal are going to be within a kick of whatever team beat them, and I think they will get beaten. But I think that um, Monaghan could beat them by a kick, Tyrone could beat them by a kick. But that's it. And yeah, maybe, and maybe, well, and maybe that's where they are. Like and, but like, and and. Monaghan and Tyrone could beat Derry by a kick and Derry are down in ninth and the same goes for Galway at the end of it but like but you've always said like, who would win if the game was played in the, in the morning and if the game was played in the morning Michael Murphy wouldn't be there for Donegal and so they're 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 sixth they're seventh seventh okay we're going to have to come back to this a little bit later on because yeah. you've you've, you've, give, you've put Dublin in green that's because Donegal dropped so somebody has no, to no, no, somebody you, has you, to fill the void you've moved Dublin up 
Yeah, well, that's, no, I moved Donegal down. We'll come back to this a little bit later. If anybody out there thinks it's absolutely ridiculous that Owen is promoting Dublin after what happened at the weekend in Croke Park when they were taken apart by Mayo uh, in Croke Park in the league for the first time in, like since since the year dot, uh, that, then fair enough to you. That's this week's power rankings. I absolutely adore them, lads. I have unbelievable time from, but they're, they're a great bunch, but it's not acceptable. Right, it's six minutes past eight this morning. If uh, you want to get in touch with us, we'd love to hear from you. 087-9180-180 is the WhatsApp number. Uh, OTBAM is brought to you by Gillette. Good mornings. Start with Gillette, put your best face forward with their new and improved razors. Now, uh, we wanted to turn our attention to one of the best stories in the uh, league season so far, and that is the success of the London Gaelic footballers. And I'm delighted to say their coach, Michael Maher, is with us this morning. Michael, good morning to you. How are you getting on? Morning, lads. How are you doing? Yeah, we're pretty good. Um, I, I guess not as excited about life as you are at the moment. Uh, we were just saying you've built a team that believes in itself to the point where they're pulling off these remarkable comeback victories uh, in the league. There's something special brewing. Yeah, look, they're a great group of lads. We have come back in all three games. I think um, conditions dictated a couple of the games. Um, we were behind in them, but um, there's just a re- real good group. There's a no excuses culture amongst the group and um, We've, we've got a deep squad, something that I don't think we've had before in London. So um, there's massive belief there and we're, we're delighted with the free results. But look, we're very much aware that um, we face bigger battles ahead and this weekend will be no different. Uh, the, the backstory is really interesting. I think you got the gig just before COVID or certainly you didn't get the opportunity to play too many games before COVID hit. Is that fair? Yeah, we got five games under our belt in 2020. It being kind of an interrupted pre-season and... Um, then obviously the COVID hit, so yeah, it's been very much starting again, starting from scratch, and we've got a, a fairly new panel put together, all told with numbers. So um, yeah, look, it's been it's been tough, but it's been a good reset as well. And lads that have been on the road with London a long time, I think it kind of made them appreciate and reevaluate how fortunate they are to be playing inter county football, and I, I think that's kind of shown in the. The, the re-energised atmosphere amongst the group. So was it easy enough to pull the squad together after COVID? Is that is that what your experience was, that you were kind of pushing an open door with most of the people who you were asking to join? Yeah, absolutely. There was, a, there was a massive hunger there. The lads we spoke to um, were, were really enthusiastic about the whole thing and that the chance to play football the the highest level was was something that, that, that really did appeal to a lot of them. So, look, I guess naturally, like any inter-county scene, there's, um, there were a few lads that we'd love to have him but just couldn't make it work with other commitments but for the for the huge majority the lads we asked to come in they came in and um, look, we're reaping the rewards now the, the identity of London GEA Michael is, is really interesting like from the outside looking in it seems that, that the best way for the team to succeed is when there is that strong uh, culture of players who are living temporarily in London but it needs to be underpinned by a base of players who, who are natives as well and I guess being the first native born manager of this team that really taps into that identity and really I guess pushes that along nicely definitely look I think the day of um, like an an all Irish born team representing London is gone Um, I don't think there'll ever be a day when it's all London born players either I think we're we're kind of trying to get the perfect balance but like you say like the the homegrown lads will will always be there and I guess the the whole COVID situation kind of did underpin that but we were lucky a lot of the lads that were were on the panel before they, they were still in London um, so we, we've got a good blend there we've got 10 London-born boys in the extended panel of 35 which is a good number we've got an all-London-born junior team kind of underpinning the senior team and you'd hope that every year one or two would come out of that and feed the senior squad so um, there are good structures in place now um, but we, we've got kind of a really good mix of um, 
experienced London-born lads. Um, we've got a number of experienced London-born lads in there as well. Um, and lads that are kind of new over from Ireland that are maybe passing through London and they're able to add something to the group whilst they're here. Because I think in 2013, that, that famous summer when London go on the run, there was only one English-born player in the, in the squad. I think Philip Butler was the only one that year. That number has increased and obviously you're at the helm now. So what's changed in the, the last decade or so? Um, the underage structures are getting stronger and stronger. Um, and there's kind of more games and a better pathway for, for kids now, definitely from the age of 14 upwards. There used to be a, a lack of games. Um, I think that's that's improving and it's something that the board are still kind of really, really focusing their, their efforts on to, to make sure that kids stay in the game from 14 onwards. Um, there's also, look, I mentioned the London-born junior squad. That's a new initiative that came in the last 18 months. Um, that, that will further strengthen the whole thing. Um, but I just think managers, um, Paul Coggins obviously was there in 13 when they got to the Connacht final. Um, Liam Gavigan had been on the London panel previous to that. Um, a couple of lads, Sean Hickey, who's still on the London panel, had been on it previous to that. So like the door had been opened a few years before that, I'd say, to London-born lads. Um, Kieran Dealey came after him and, and gave lads an opportunity. But um, look, we're very much, we're, we're, we're not bringing lads in for the sake of bringing lads in. We're bringing the best players in the county in and, um, the 10 lads that are in there are well worthy of their place in that extended group at the moment. How many clubs do you actually have a pick from? Um, there's there's eight teams in the senior division, eight in intermediate and nine in junior. So um, some of those are double-ups like Tierconnell Gales and St. Kiernan's, for instance, they've got a senior team and a junior team. Um, so there's the guts of kind of 22, 23, 24 clubs. Um, that we have to pick from. And in terms of the split season, is that all going to work out well for you in the long run, do you think? Or is, that, is there going to be players who maybe come over for a part of the year and go back and play with their clubs? Do you have any inkling yet about what the impact might be? Well, to play for London, you have to have played um, with a club in London in the previous year's championship or, or a championship game. So um, the lads would have had to have shown some level of commitment to, to be able to play for London in the first place. Um but I think the split season is a good thing all round. It, it means the clubs have got kind of a defined period of time where they know they're going to have access to their entire panel. But over here, the clubs are looking to get up and running at the end of March, kind of with um, knockout cup games. And then whenever our involvement in the championship finishes this year, hopefully we go deep into the summer, fingers crossed. Um, but look, we, we'd, we'd be all back playing club league games with all players kind of guaranteed from the end of June, early July onwards with the championship then to follow. So I think it does, it gives clubs a, a chance to build their identity even further um, whereas before kind of it dragged out a little bit longer so I think it can only have benefits for the for, for the entire 32 counties that are involved And the other thing obviously that, that's coming in is the Talchon Cup is that going to be a big opportunity for you guys to showcase deeper and, and hopefully have some home games in front of big crowds? Definitely um, the f- thing is whatever performance you may have put up in the Connacht Championship previously kind of you're you're, um, you're at the, the lap of the gods as to who you're going to face in the qualifiers so I think Tyrone are playing for Manor in the first round of Ulster this year and like, had Tyrone suffered a disaster and lost to for Manor and we lost to Leitrim. You, you could end up playing Tyrone away in the first round of the qualifier and face kind of a mammoth task. Whereas, look, no matter what happens in the Connacht Championship for us, win, lose or draw in those, those first couple of games, if we end up in the Towton Cup, kind of, you know, at least you, you've got kind of a winnable opportunity against the Division 3 or 4 team coming up. And I think that just makes it easier to keep the group motivated and kind of press, press things forward. Um, whereas before, kind of, it was a toss of a coin as to who you may face. So, um, I think it's a it's a wonderful thing. Hopefully, the green proposal gets through a congress as well, and will give you even more games in the championship. 
Um, but I, I do think the Towton Cup for a county like ourselves will will have massive benefits. Michael, what was your own journey to end? Uh, how did you end up coaching at inter-county level with London? Um, I was in soccer for a long time and then once the soccer opportunity finished with Red Hill, um, my club round towers were looking for a manager and kind of the, the, it fell at the right time. So I got involved with them, managing the, the men's and ladies teams there. We had kind of good success. We improved things along the way. Uh, Kieran Dealey contacted me in uh, 2018 for the 19 season and gave me a chance to come in as the coach, um, which was a wonderful learning opportunity, a great, great time. We had a, a relatively stable year. We, we ran Galway very close in the Connacht Championship. Um, and then the chance came up to, to to go for the manager's job and look, it was something that um, I certainly didn't want to turn down. I was delighted to get the opportunity and um, look, haven't looked back since then. I guess it's been a tough couple of years not being involved, but and look, the chance is there now. And as I said, look, we, we, we've just really focused on doing what we can do to get this group to the, to the, to the, to kind of the best of their abilities, develop them as best we can. And um, we, we've got a fantastic management team, fantastic group of players, and everyone's rowing in the same direction, which is wonderful. Was Round Towers your club as a kid? It was, yeah. Round Towers in football and Sean Traces in hurling. And, and pardon my, my uh, knowledge of London geography is terrible. Whereabouts in London is that? We're South London. We're, um, we're down in Mitcham down near Carshorton in Surrey so um, yeah we're a long way long way south we have long journeys for most of our games but um, yeah wonderful opportunity we have a good club there we've underage structure a ladies team men's team um, was, was great growing up kind of being involved in the GA my dad was heavily involved as well so um, it's great to kind of be at the have gone full circle now and be at the top end of it where um, where where I'm able to kind of make an impact from the top and hopefully keep the club growing strong. It it's it's from the outside. It seems like a real sign of the vibrancy of the club scene, where somebody who isn't uh, a transplant from Ireland going over to London is actually in charge. It, it's somebody who's come through the system their whole life and understands exactly how difficult it is to get to matches. What the other allure of the other sport is going to be so that when you're having conversations with players it's like you've, you fully understand what the nuances of those conversations are what the pull for everybody and, and the push for, for players to play is were you conscious of, of having just a, a deeper understanding of what the situation was than somebody who's just come over to London for 18 months taking the gig and is there as, as everybody is in the megalopolises for who knows how long um, definitely, I think I think having grown up in London, it, it helps you understand the kind of the, the, the scene a little bit better. But um, in fairness, like Paul Coggins has been here a long time, Kieran had been here a, a good while before me. So um, neither manager was kind of like a, a blowing Noel Dunning before them. Um, I, I think I, I, the one thing that we kind of try and do as a management team is, is appreciate the difficulties lads do have in London with their jobs the distances like they do have to travel and the the, the, the kind of the, the awkwardness of getting to training just with the transport system here and um, uh, look we, we try and be as open as possible with the players and we ask for their commitment and flexibility if they can't make training that they, they do catch up sessions and um, look we, we've got a really good group of players they, they rarely miss trainings um, we've been very lucky in terms of the games they, they, they've, they've all been available um, work wise so we do have a good a good understanding that, that there can be difficulties sometimes, but um, look, I think being London-born does help to a degree. But um, does it does it does it have a huger impact? I don't think so. I just think um, it's, it's in, whoever's in place just has to understand that um, lads are in a different city, and maybe their employers aren't as understanding that they need to get out on the dot of five to make training at half seven as they may do if they're at home in Ireland. But look, it's one of them things. It's just a small thing we have to we have to get over. 
I did see as well that you've made access to your games free in Roy Slip throughout this National League campaign. How important is it that the next generation and that people around the community in London do see what's happening at the moment because the team is successful right now? Big time. The board deserve massive credit for that initiative. It's, uh, it, it was wonderful. I think there was the guts of a thousand people in there for the, the Waterford game. Um, the, uh, the Mayo hurling game the week after there was six, seven hundred and there was a, a horrendous weather conditions that day. Um, it, it's, it's fantastic. And just to see a younger generation of players coming in to watch the games is is wonderful. And that's always something that I've got my eye on that the, the next kind of the next batch of kids coming through, the ones that may be pulling on that shirt in 15 years, they're out kind of watching today's heroes. So, um, yeah, look, it's, it's wonderful. It's great to have noise behind you as well. I can remember going out to watch London in the National League myself growing up as a kid and there may have been 150, 200 people there. So it was great to see the stand fall. I hope kind of we, we get a good following this weekend against Wexford. Um, and yeah, look, the, the board deserve massive credit. They had go games on at half time, and it was lovely to see the kids out on the pitch. And I think as a kid, when you, when you know you're getting an opportunity to play on the best ground in the county, it's, it's just another, another pull to get to that game. Was promotion a target at the start of the year, Michael? Because it's all of a sudden become a conversation now. Definitely not. And look, it's still not a conversation within our group. We're, we're very much living the, um, the old cliche. It's just game by game. And, um, look, we're up for a big battle this weekend. I think if we get over this weekend, we've got eight points, then, then maybe you could have one eye on, um, uh, uh, a league final. But, um, at this moment in time, we're, we're, we're aware we've been in some very, very tight scrapes and, uh, if we can get over this weekend, we'd be absolutely thrilled. But uh, there was definitely no talk of promotion and there's still no talk of promotion in the group. Well, we wish you the very best to look. It's a great story, Michael. Uh, long way to continue. Thanks a million for joining us this morning. Cheers. Thanks very much, Lance. Thanks for having us on. That's Michael Mara there, the uh, manager of the London footballers. It is a great story. Oh, it's brilliant. It's absolutely fantastic. Just to, uh, like, you, I, I definitely heard a lot, um, just having family over in New York, uh, about how the next generation there are um, kind of taking up the mantle and there's a lot of native players who, who are playing the sport, picking it up, and obviously the, the best athletes are going to be, uh, I guess there'll be a lot of competition for their services when it comes to trying to get scholarship for colleges and all that sort of stuff, and it makes a lot of lucrative sense for them to, to not play Gaelic games. Whereas in London, maybe you don't have that problem where uh, there isn't the whole collegiate system with, with athletics and all that. So maybe there's actually a bigger prospect for London to have more native players over the next little while, and, and that's how these teams go to the next level they've got something that the other Division 4 teams don't have which is a gigantic population base Yeah well you also keep seeing that uh, the team's doing really well at Thela if you could just get a couple of those groups to come through together at the same at the yeah. same level I mean obviously Thela is not inter-county but um, you know great players have come through that age group and had good times and experienced it and they get to go away and you know so uh, it would be pretty amazing to see them become competitive but the, the the barriers are so huge. Like the the journey time, it's it's kind of Mayo esque uh, trips to training for some of the players. Uh, Luke says Michael Marr round Tara's legend. I I did want to ask, is it Marr or Marr? Because you know Johnny Marr from the Smiths was a Marr from Kildare. Oh really? Miles from a tie. Yeah. There you go. I didn't. Uh, well, I didn't. Oh, I didn't know it was ever spelt uh, Maher. Well, yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, Manny and Johnny Marr's Maz lived a uh, hundred and fifty yards apart. Right. Um, in a tie and then moved to Manchester and great music happened mm-hmm. uh, so weird hearing this accent talk about GA says Brown it's absolutely brilliant I'm 31 it's one of my biggest hopes that I'd live to 100 and I'll witness a GA World Cup fair play to all involved in London uh, certainly keeping the flame alive we've got to take a quick break it is 8.21 we'll be right back with the papers after this OTB 
AM. All right, it's 8.22. We can run you through the sports pages. Still to come a little bit later on, we're going to talk with Graham Hunter about the Champions League and we're also going to uh, talk with Keen Tracy about the Ireland team that should play this weekend against Italy. We can start with otbsports.com. Uh, Matt Williams talking about the worst thing the Six Nations can do is change on Monday Night Rugby. We'll bring you that a little bit later on. Um, the medical staff should have access to VAR monitors to combat concussion. That's uh, Pat Nevin. Uh, certainly it, it exists in uh, rugby. Uh, Will Connors, unfortunately, out for the rest of the season with a knee injury. It's a cartilage cleanup, is what it sounded like yesterday. And then James Lowe, obviously, back in the Ireland squad. And we're still running Roy McElroy's comments because they're still sensational, really. Uh, Sports Tuesday, the front page of the. Uh, Irish Times sports section no illusion just simple physics behind Entomac's scoring pass to DuPont we, we didn't really it wasn't the most the grossest injustice that Irish sport has ever suffered at the Stade de France it's not even close is it? no it's, it's, it's I mean, look, it does look forward it's just that we're, we're we're too thick to understand that it's physics yeah Matt Williams has been good on this subject in the past like I remember that there was a kind of a similar pass against England in 2019 and it looked forward, but he was explaining that actually, you know. Didn't we benefit from, didn't Uge go over in the corner in one of the games that actually would have been a heartbreaking defeat for us, but actually yeah. they could have given it? For the championship, yeah, was like 2014? They could have given that. And yeah. we would have been like, well, that's just physics. But then physics, physics, physics changed, changes, yeah. apparently. Uh, Too laggy said to flatten anything in his path. Of all of the things that frightens us the most. I mean, if, if they brought the Vinopola brothers back, they were to reanimate them and put the three of them in the team against Ireland maybe you just do that just to piss us off yeah the 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 husk of the Vinopola brothers still swatting us aside yeah god I mean they, 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 like certainly that that coterie of players would, would send shivers down our spine but like I guess the one saving grace is that it's not a World Cup year right Desi's dubs are in crisis this is the back page headline on the Irish Independent Desi's dubs are in a crisis I just Ladies and gentlemen, I will bring you back 15 minutes in your life to, if you've just joined us, you missed this, to the power rankings where actually Owen, who's never wrong, promoted the dubs after they got beaten. Dismantled by Mayo at the weekend. There it is. They're in green. Green is good. As we know, green green means go. Green is the proposal we're all going to vote for because it's green. It's that, is that easy? I prefer the proposal red, actually. I prefer the proposal red, too, but uh, they made it green, so therefore green for go. Uh, no change. Kerry, Mayo, Armagh, Tyrone are the top four. Armagh number three, Kerry one, Mayo two, Armagh three, Tyrone four, and Dublin five. Dublin have been promoted after their defeat at the weekend. No, Donegal have been demoted. But and Dublin have gone. What do you want me to do? Just put, leave Donegal, put Donegal at six and Monaghan at... Or put them Monaghan and Dublin both at six or something and just leave five vacant? You could have done that. You could have been creative. <laughs> you, you have a big brain. You can fix this. I, don't, I really don't, but... Uh, thank you for suggesting that I do. I I, I just think that who are Dublin worse than Donegal or Monaghan right now is the question I asked myself. And my answer, I concluded that no, they're not. Right. It was a, 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 I waited up. Uh, right. Well, what are you googling? You can you can sh- share it with the room there. I'm just uh, I'm just checking. Results? Yeah. <laughs> what, what results are you you're looking at? Well, I'm just here. checking to see when, when we're going to see uh, Monaghan versus Dublin. What, when are we going to see this? Oh. Last game of the season? Uh, I'm just trying to, trying to fix it here. Um, I, I don't know. But like, I'm, I'm sure that... So, we had Anthony Moyles on yesterday. He seems pretty confident that Dublin's 
Dublin are about to go on an uptick of form that it was their better better uh, it was a better performance than what we saw against our man against Kerry against Mayo at the weekend and part of me agrees with them but part of me also says that let's just wait a little while and let, let's see them lose to Monaghan and Donegal Antigal until there this weekend before they, we start bringing in crisis? So, so do you agree with Colin Keyes though that like, I guess that we're having a discussion about the papers here and um, I think that it's too early to say they're in crisis just yet because because of the players that they're cycling through and they know what they're doing with the cycle through of the players the style of play has yet to be established right and that will be the, the main concern is that players are doing things that doesn't seem to be part of a pattern but is that the type of thing that, um, you know, the two or three victories that they'll have in the Leinster Championship will give them the confidence to, to go ahead? There's still a bunch of players who will come into the team, who will improve the team. But we haven't seen Conor Callaghan be Footballer of the Year material for a while. It's a couple of seasons ago since he was like mm-hmm. all conquering. The thing is that the patterns of play are so strange in attack at the moment that I know we've said it a couple of times already, but it just has to improve over the next little while. The, the, the attacking game plan is so aimless. Some of the balls are kicking away, just so, so needless to be, to be doing that. So that just has to change over over the, the next few weeks. It just has to. There's, there's no way that those players have been completely deserted of their talents. And there's when we start to, to gauge whether or not they're in crisis, you have to ask, what does crisis look like for Dublin? For me, it's losing in the Leinster Championship. If Dublin end up losing the Leinster Championship, that is that is the mark of a crisis. So, are they on... Or a quarterfinal? <clears throat> I guess it depends who the quarterfinal opponent is. But yeah, I guess you could put that in there as well. If they, if they don't make the semi-finals, I guess you could say it is it is because it's a, it's a step back. But I would definitely say that if they lose to a team in, in Leinster, that that is the mark of a, of a team in crisis, of this team in crisis. And I still think that we are we have a little way to go for them to be that bad just yet. I don't think survival in the league is important to them at all, really. I, I actually, because again, talk about this, but I was having this conversation with Colin Boyle was on the show on Friday night and uh, I, I do see a scenario where, so their, their remaining league games are uh, in Newbridge, in Oma, Donegal at home and Monaghan away. So three away. Maybe that'll suit them. Who knows, right? Uh, I can see them, I would make them favourites for the game in Newbridge. They'll, Tyrone are not playing brilliantly in the league and don't really care about it right I mean let's see with the four players back and a win yeah. how better they are next week it's possible that that's them getting into championship mode but they don't care because they know they're all Ireland contenders and they just need to make sure that everybody's fit for the start of the Ulster Championship that's the only thing that matters to them so I can see Dublin getting something from that game Tony Gall at home you're saying they're ahead of them I, I, would, I would have some favourites in that yeah in Croker and then at at Clonus on Sunday the 27th of March Monaghan should move that game to Inneskeen is it possible that Monaghan are already thinking we're safe we can't win this not a chance will Monaghan be safe Come, well, sorry, I, I'm not, I don't want to say that there's not a chance of anything happening that's, that, that's always the wrong thing to say but I, I would expect Monaghan to still be fighting to stay up in that last week ok so you think it'll be important to them and yeah, the I think so. full team full board should try and win that game in advance of the imminent Ulster Championship which starts in April this year yeah like I, I, I think that there is like I, I know that James Dunne who was saying at the start of the year that Tyrone could be in relegation trouble I think I've seen enough already for them to get themselves out of that I think it'll be Dublin, Donegal Monaghan, Kildare uh, fighting it out to, to stay in the division at the end of it but Dublin could easily change that with a couple of wins all of those teams can change it with a couple of wins but even if they go down even if Dublin go yeah. down having tried 50 players right and at least they've gained something well they, I, I don't think it matters 
Like yeah. if you're if you're Desi Farrell and you're like, oh, I stayed up in Division One of the league, it's amazing. It's like, no, it's not. They, I I don't think it's. They're going to say trying to get the the team to win games and get confidence is really important. But if you if you're telling me that they win the rest of those games and then go on and have a great season afterwards, I'm not shocked by that because, like, they've used the league to get game time into players to discover some players to get like to get everybody championship fit to get James McCarthy championship fit to get Conor Callaghan championship fit to get Costello back championship fit that's a team that's going to run anybody close and I think that the whole point of being a good manager is trying your best to see things before they happen and if Desi Farrell came into the season seeing that this squad was thin as hell before everybody else did then at least that's something and he realised that how do I ensure that this squad I guess kind of irons itself out or I, I get an ideal pecking order or I find out who's actually ready for the battle and who can handle a few defeats but I throw them straight into the fire maybe that's how he's, he's approached this there are other elements to it as well it's not just about the, the quality of, of player that, that's there and the thinness of the squad the, the direction of, of how they're playing the, the, the wide open sea at the back they're, those two areas are, are the most baffling like the conveyor belts drying up is fair enough that's understandable but the lack of direction in an attack and leaving themselves so open at the back has happened three games in a row and that, I think that's, that has people scratching their head more than anything else Mark Dunning says relegation becomes a big deal if the championship goes badly for Dublin and it obviously has a knock-on effect for next year the other side about that is the knock-on effect for next year is that the team will come into the championship next year high on confidence from having slashed their way through Division 2 a la Mayo last year like these Division 1 teams who have a year in Division 2 it's actually not a bad thing for them at all and Mayo were, were regenerating as well last year with a few new players who got game time in Division 2 so in, they utilised that to their confidence building scenario as opposed to uh, here's a team who's scrapping it out and like coming up against the defenders from Tyrone week on week or the quality of defenders that you come up against Tyrone and Donegal who are you know like it's a, a difficult enough experience for a 19 year old forward Now I would say in, in like to counter that is that Dublin should have a strong enough conveyor belt of talent to say that their kids are good enough to be tested against Division 1 teams I would agree time and, I would not, agree. and not necessarily challenged for the title but to be staying in the division I, Look I, I would agree and I think that something something happened where <laughs> so if you remember um, that great group of jockeys came through together at the same time uh, Ruby Walsh uh, Carberry Barry Garrity and a few others and there was nothing behind them there was nothing for ages and I remember like, Ruby, why, why is the next generation of jockeys well because there's no room for them because we were there we took the place we got all the good rides we won all the big races and so that next generation didn't have anything to flower for them so post the greatest generation of Gaelic footballers that we've ever seen there haven't been that many players coming through. One or two a year, which was all you needed to regenerate a great team. Now that all of those players are gone, you're left with the one or two a year who came through and nothing came through at the same time as them. So let's see. Like, you know, um, McDade came through. Was he 27 when he won an All-Star for the first time? Right. Was he? Was was he, was he was, I don't know. I'm Certainly, sure. he, wasn't, he wasn't 20 or 21. He might have been 24 or 25. Yeah. But he wasn't a kid, right? So... I would expect that there will be more of those players to come through who haven't been in development squads. Uh, Again, to go back to to Boyle, it's like he came in, got dropped off the panel for three years and then went away and came back and was ready to go as like a 24, 25-year-old. Those players are the ones that Dublin need to find and that will, I would say, is the biggest kind of untapped, the the money ball aspect of their selection stuff because the, the development squads are producing players who are 19, 20, 21 who aren't quite ready yet. No, and like 
I, I don't think anybody's ever saying that that they would be. It needs to be generational talents who who kind of come through and, and be able to make it at this level, especially the way Gaelic games are so physical at the moment. And like even when you look at Tyrone last year, like a lot of them were were players who who did win in an under twenty one All Ireland, and it took years for them to get to the stage of them. Look at McCurry dropped off the panel. Yeah. So like those are the stories that we're actually seeing right now, and I think that it, 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 there's a similar story with a lot of the top teams at the moment. Um, like I, th- I think maybe in, in hurling, obviously it's a, it's a younger man's game, but in this game you're waiting till your mid twenties before a, a generation comes through. And like it, it seems that we've kind of like rushed conclusions on so many of these players, like Kieran Archer, for example. I mean, like the conversation around him now is like, oh, he 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 was a great under twenty one. What what happened to him? It's like, what do you mean, what happened to him? let's be patient here for a while give him a couple of seasons give him a couple of years actually getting into the conditioning programme of being a senior and, and maybe that underage promise will manifest itself in a, in a player in his mid-twenties who's, who's going to be excellent for Dublin eventually the thing with them is that they've got such a good chance of a handful of those players coming good in their mid-twenties because of, of the situation they're in I, I think listening to Moisey yesterday and listening to Billy Joe as well last night there's I, I, I ain't writing the dubs off at all I think that um it's it's the worst of all worlds for us fans of counties who are close to them. It's like they feel slighted. They're hiding in the long grass with all their medals. It's like the, that's that glint. Oh, shoot that glint. Yeah, and like the whole the sniper, <laughs> shoot that glint. The, the whole, Don't let that glint turn into a snake. The, the whole thing is, has been like the, the motivation. Like, oh, you've got Pat Blam saying the other night, you know, it's just, it just becomes another medal. But like, I think that motivation, I think that's a harder thing to, to garner at this time of year. Later in the year, when, you know... It, there's one inside. Yeah, when there's one inside, it's like they go into full magpie form and then it's like... Yeah, yeah. now, look, maybe their best players have all come off a peak. Maybe Fenton is not as good now as he was three or four seasons ago. Maybe uh, Kilkenny isn't as dominant because they're not surrounded. Like, the players making the runs aren't all-time greats. It's not Bernard Brogan inside anymore. Mm. It's somebody else who has to find their own way. So, I look, I don't know. I, I'm... Talking against myself here, mildly defending your decision to move the dubs up a bit, um, some green shoots, but I still feel that you're you're trying to poison the well for uh, to do your bit for the Kerry Mafia. There's always there is no mafia. There's always tactics involved. Number one, Kerry, like streaking ahead of everybody at the moment. Early season champions. Yeah, for whatever they're, they're winning the league, the off season, and, the, and that's no different to the last few years. We've seen this one before, Jer getting ahead of themselves OTBAM is brought to you by Gillette good morning start with Gillette with your best face forward with their new and improved razors you can get involved in that conversation all the rest of the papers um, it's kind of a, a bunch of different things Romcom Lukaku form no joke he wasn't involved we must solve it and David Destea tab of the morning to you keep her ready to remain for life I would be ready to remain for life 400 grand a week thank you very much that's like yeah absolutely can't get it anywhere else um, look De Gea good signing for all that money or a bad signing for all that money. The Kerry Mafia texting you there. No, actually, it's an Share Ita- with the it's, a, it's an Italian restaurant too. We may or may not have uh, mentioned earlier on. So uh, I mean, <laughs> you haven't passed it for breakfast. Pa- pass it for breakfast. Pass it for dinner. Pass it for lunch. Eight thirty-eight this morning. Carl Milani is with us. Carl, good morning to you. Morning, lads. How are we? Good. Do you like pasta for breakfast? No, no. Do you like pasta after ten a.m.? Are you? Are you? Oh, pasta man, yeah. Yeah. Italian yeah, food is the best, right? Yeah. Italian food is oh, the best yeah. by a mile, and it's not even close. Spain, Portugal, that's the hierarchy. And then France. I'll take your pate, France. But that's it. That's it, right. Yeah, like uh, in, in terms of European cuisine, I think it's definitely number one, right? By a mile. Yeah. And it's not close. Yeah. You go, to, you go to a crappy service station on the motorway and they have this amazing stone-baked pizza that they do for you right there. And it's the nicest pizza you've ever had. And it's 150. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. Why are you laughing? This is true. I'm no, telling I, you truth bombs here. I guess it is no laughing matter. This is this is quite serious. But uh, it, it is delicious. Like 150 is... We get Papa John's. It's it's laughing. La- that's, yeah. Well, I mean, nothing wrong with Papa John's. I mean, I ain't, I'm not a fan of Mr. Papa John. I mean, even you, like, I mean, stodgy pizza is even nice. It's like, not. In, in that's isolation. a lie. That's a lie. There's that, that's the, one of the great lies I told. There's no such thing as bad pizza. There is. There, Sorry, no, there of, isn't. There, there is loads such, of them. It turns out, it turns out when you've had the good stuff, <laughs> can't go back. Yeah, that's yeah, it's unfortunate. Yeah. Right, Carl. Sorry, what's going on? Church <laughs> well, lost his train of thought. Yeah. Thinking about Papa <laughs> thinking John's <laughs> pizza. <laughs> are Kerry top of the power rankings? They are number one. Rightly so. Rightly number so. Uno. Um, in terms of news this morning, the island of Ireland could be set to host a quarter of games at Euro 2028. That's if the bid to host the tournament is successful. The FAI, of course, part of a joint venture with the football associations in Northern Ireland, Scotland, Wales and England to win the right to host. And it could be up to 12 games in the tournament's current guise, if the reports are to be believed. Uh, elsewhere today on the football front, Vera Powell's Republic of Ireland round off their Pinotar Cup campaign. They take on Wales. That's in the third place playoff in Spain of that tournament. Heather Payne said to be available. She's recovered from a groin injury kickoff for that match at the Pinatar Arena is at half two. In the Champions League tonight, Lille against Chelsea. Chelsea uh, have home advantage for that one at Stamford Bridge. Kickoff is at eight o'clock. Also tonight, in the last 16, Italian Giants Juventus go to Villarreal. That game underway as well from eight. Did I not say Lille? Was that not my answer in the quiz? And you were like, oh, not Lille. You said Lons. Oh, balls. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> elsewhere today in cricket big game coming up for Ireland uh, later this morning actually a place at the T20 World Cup is at stake they'll qualify for the tournament in Australia if they beat Oman in their qualifier semi-final that game due to get underway in Oman at 10 o'clock Irish time and that tournament is later this year in Australia. In tennis, Novak Djokovic made a winning return. He played for the first time since the controversy over his vaccine status last month. He was in action last night. He beat Lorenzo Massetti in straight sets. That was at the Dubai Tennis Championships. Djokovic had his visa cancelled of course ahead of last month's Australian Open and was subsequently deported. Uh, Andy Murray was in action as well. He beat Australia's Christopher O'Connell at that Dubai tournament. Uh, In snooker, Fergal O'Brien in action at the European Masters. That's in Milton Keynes later this morning. He faces Yu Yize of China this afternoon. Antrim's Jordan Brown plays the world number one, uh, Mark Selby. And there's racing today as well, lads. That's at Navan. That's a rearranged uh, card and an eight-race programme there, scheduled to get underway at ten past one. What's the weather like outside? When I, we were on our way in, it was like biblical. Yeah, yeah. Still bad? It's a bit drier. Okay. Um, hopefully it goes ahead. Um, but the weather, obviously, over the weekend was just dreadful but it's a little bit better now we should have been doing like uh, weather forecast updates on this show every morning could have got mm. a green screen call <laughs> I think I could pull it off I think so I absolutely think so sun 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 <laughs> uh, what game were you at at the weekend call uh, would you believe I went to Galway against Offaly and I was there 10 minutes and then the game was called off right yeah are you one of those people who's like relieved when it happens uh, no not really uh, I was looking, looking forward to it but that game was obviously in Salt Hill so I think an orange wind warning had just come into place so they had to uh, call it off it was definitely the right call uh, there was a lot of rain and wind around, but I mean, I think a lot of the ma- uh, I know Sligo's match was called off. A couple of games in Division Three were called off uh, over the weekend. Um, pitches took a lot of rain, but the wind was just crazy, crazy. Yeah. But I have to say, I enjoyed um, Kildare and Tyrone was a really good game. And I know you were chatting about the Dubs. I think Kildare might win Leinster. Yeah, say it quietly. I think so. No, I was going to say, say it chance. louder. I mean, like, I mean, I get a lot of stick <laughs> for like playing down chances here in the show, but like, I mean, I think the same thing is happening here with Kildare. I I just think that the 
the game smarts to see out that game at the weekend is something that the team has to develop yeah. and evolve and they will develop and evolve that and they have the right people on the on the tiller at the moment but yeah. it's you know there's just bits where you need to sit there in the video and, and go through it again and kind of feel your skin crawl a little bit and go mm. ah. but now's the time to be making those mistakes isn't it rather than definitely April and May definitely definitely yeah, do you not think like there was a time in the first half where Tyrone could have just banged in a couple of goals and mm, all of a yeah. sudden Tyrone would have been playing badly and there were six points up I know, again, we're talking about situations that didn't actually materialise and maybe Kildare deserve credit for, for kind of keeping the head in, in those moments. But could it, could, it not have been, could it not have been a bigger chasm between these teams and with the Toronto suspension? Possibly, possibly. But Kildare's shooting wasn't 100% either. True, now, yeah. Uh, that they could have had a few more scores on the board. But they just, they're just they very athletic, aren't they, around the field? And it seems to be a great enthusiasm that can mean a lot. And I guess the competition... That's the who rest. we are. That's our, our, the Kildare <laughs> team's identity is athletic, fast... Handle great handling and kick and wides, unfortunately. Mm. So, if we could just get that little bit out, it'd be sensational. They're great to watch, but it helps. Yeah, the games are brilliant, yeah, yeah, they are. Yeah, and you've got two inside forwards who are genuinely excellent. That helps with the whole wide that does. scenario. And that you've got does. Kerwin coming back, hopefully, over the next little while as yeah. well. That's another option inside that full forward line will, will cause problems. It's a game I want to see, yeah, Dublin against Kildare and the good weather for sure. That's what they're, yeah. they're, yeah. they're definitely sold out as well, isn't it? Dublin Kildare at the weekend, yeah. Uh, despite Paddy Andrews' best effort that has not been moved to Croke Park it's uh, 8.44 call good stuff thanks a million more from Colin Milani across the day on otbsports.com and a reminder OTB AM is brought to you by Gillette good morning start with Gillette but your best face forward with their new and improved razors we're getting to rugby with Keen Tracy next first here's a little taste of Monday Night Rugby where some shade was being thrown at the Aviva Stadium in terms of its atmosphere uh, Danny Kerr and Sam Warburton on their uh, BBC podcast they were asked to pick to rank the uh, six Six Nation Stadiums. And here's what they've come up with. Number six in last place, Stadio Olimpico. So we had Warburton saying, it's not city centre, stadium quite far away. And also, if the games were more competitive, that would help. And Danny Kerr agreed. Great trip, but the games aren't the greatest. And that does come into it. At number five, the second worst stadium in the Six Nations the Aviva Stadium is where we are. So Danny Kerr says, Irish fans are going to hate me even more now. Uh, Sam Warburton says it's a beautiful lovely stadium amazing atmosphere but it's still in its infancy as a ground Danny Kerr says it's a three quarters stadium that bit at the end I understand the planning issues but imagine how much better it would be if it was full I mean I'm feeling defensive right now but it's hard to argue with that point a little bit isn't it and uh, Warburton says it, it is a bit funny that bit though he, he does say if Crow Park was their ground for the last 20 years it'd be a completely different conversation Danny Kerr says it'd probably be number one that's interesting. Uh, so that's a clip from Monday Night Rugby. Keen Tracy, Rugby Correspondent with the Irish Independent, is with us. Um, the Aviva, unfinished and not a great atmosphere, seems to be what the rest of the world thinks about us. Keen, I tend to agree with that. Yeah, I listened to the lads' chat um, last night. I think when the Aviva is full and there's a big team in town, which is obviously not all the time, it's unbelievable. Um, I think like the atmosphere for the All Blacks game last November was genuinely one of one of the best, and I think you'd say the same about the last time they played. But yeah, no, I'd agree. I think there's the, a huge the, problem. The, the point about that is it's November, where it's not the same ticketing as the Six Nations, which seem to be kind of block tickets that have gone to you know. There's just I, I always find the makeup of the crowd for Six Nations game is different from November International. Yeah, do you, do you mean by the pricing or who gets them? I mean, it seems to be easier to get tickets for November that they're not distributed through the traditional channels. Yeah, maybe. I suppose I'm lucky that I'm not having to kind of scramble around for tickets that I just 
walls into the press box but um, I, I've always thought there was an issue at the, the Aviva Stadium for like taking your seats late like the anthems could be playing and people are still streaming in um, in saying that I think football's a, a little bit different because um, I've been at the last few Ireland games at the Aviva and they've been absolutely incredible atmosphere I think back to the Portugal game and things like yeah. that so um, yeah, I don't know. I, th- I think it depends. I don't. I definitely wouldn't think that the Aviva is this like cauldron, you know, atmosphere. I was in the Stade de France a couple of weeks ago, and that's another level, another level altogether. Um, so yeah, I don't think teams would be fearful of the, the hostile atmosphere or anything like that. Mm. And yes, we have our record there is amazing. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think um, Declan Lynch was referring to our kind of like love for sawn off stadiums in this uh, country people must come to Croke Park and to the Aviva Stadium be like what the hell's going on there like what's what's the story there's also a huge issue with like people getting points which I've no issue people getting points but like honestly like if you if you like at the the Portugal match and stuff like if you dip out the queues for the bars like during the game are incredible I know the the Principality Stadium in Cardiff have addressed this. I don't think you can you can get a point now anymore after half time to encourage people to sit in their seats. But what happens if and you're, stop puking on children? Exactly, yeah. But what happens if you're six or seven points deep in at that stage and you go to the jacks? It's still this up and down things, and I think that's very frustrating for the people who were there, like not for the day out as such, but genuinely to watch, watch the, game. the match. And yeah. I think that impacts the atmosphere too. Too many day trippers at the at the Aviva is definitely a problem. Look, let's talk about you've um, done a very interesting experiment. Uh, You've picked your team for the game at the weekend and you've picked Andy Farrell's team and there's a significant difference. I mean, the most significant difference is at number 10. Your instinct at the moment seems to be that Johnny Sexton starts. No, yeah, well, that would for, be... For yeah, Andy sorry, Farrell's yeah, team. I'm sure Andy Farrell would be delighted that I've picked his team and I've picked uh, <laughs> my team as well, as if I know better, but... Um, yeah, like I, I don't know. I, like they've been a bit vague about Johnny Sexton's fitness, so I think a lot will depend on that. Look, it's a hamstring strain as well. I don't think they'll they'll take any chances, particularly for the Italy game. But I think if Johnny Sexton was fit, my sense is yeah that Johnny Sexton would play, um, and that's certainly not the way I'd be thinking. I'm, I actually think this weekend, even if Johnny Sexton was fully fit and playing really well, is a no brainer to give to give Joey Sexton or sorry Joey Carberry back to back starts. Um, I think one thing that got overlooked when he did get the start against France a couple of weeks ago was that because Johnny Sexton pulled out so late on the, the Wednesday evening, Joey Carby didn't get to lead the team for the week, which is such a huge element of being an out-half and being the leader. So when they came into camp last week for a mini two-day camp, it was only 23 players. And on the Friday, they went up against the 20s, which is always a, a, like a feisty session because the 20s who are on for a Grand Slam now more than what the, the senior team are... Um, are always looking to make an impression but Johnny Sexton wasn't the one involved in that it was Joey Carberry so they'd had their review Joey Carberry was giving his feedback and he was going okay implement it now against the 20s who are going to look to smash you so um, I think it's an ideal opportunity to to go into this week and say to Joey Carberry yeah you're our man you're the man in charge of the jersey like like Irish rugby speaks so often about you know if you're in charge of the jersey leaving it a better place and things like that whereas I think Joey Carberry now is the man in possession of, of the jersey I think we can talk about England further down the line because I think that's a different kettle of fish and you know, you'll have to take the standard of opposition that awaits this weekend. But if Joey Carberry shoots the lights out this weekend on the back of what I thought played very well in difficult circumstances in Paris, then then you've got exactly what you want in terms of Andy Farrell. You've got a difficult selection headache and it's not maybe as much of a foregone conclusion as what it, what it has been in, in the last couple of years. We're getting to an ideal scenario here where there's genuine competition for the place and what you think would be the right thing to do in the short term and the long term is give 
Carberry another opportunity, not on the basis that, oh, we're, we're, we're taking a risk here. He played against France, the best team in the competition, and played well. He wasn't amazing, but Johnny Sexton's performance, where he was very good, was against a really weakened Welsh team. Like we were, we were saying, you know, marks out of 10, Sexton gets a higher mark out of 10 than Carberry does, if that's your, your um, methodology for measuring this. But the context of like going up against the French who were trying to smash you and performing at the level you performed, that's far more away from home. It's far more significant than a routine victory against the Welsh side who put the, the flag up pretty quickly. Yeah, I actually think it would be closer if you were if you were going to think about it like that and doing marks out of ten. I, I agree with you as well as Johnny Sexton played, and I do think it's important to to stress that I think the gap is still significant when both players are fully fit. But the problem is, as much as Johnny Sexton picks up injuries, so does Joey Carberry, and that's probably why. Ireland are in this situation, you know. I thought it was interesting even that Jack Harty, you know, finished out the game in Paris. It was his first time playing since 2019 and we're still talking about the same things, you know. Jack Harty hasn't had enough game time to come on. And let's say Joey Carberry had pulled up after 50 minutes, had got injured, had gone injured like how are you expecting Jack Harty to, to come on and, and play a game to that level when he hasn't played for Ireland since the 20, 2019 World Cup so we're still in this model cycle like we're, like we're obsessed with talking about it because it just won't go away but also we are talking about Johnny Sexton as one of the greatest players to ever have played the game let alone one of the greatest Irish players so anyone who comes in after that it's a, it's a poison chalice because you're going to be judged at certain standards, but Joey Carberry is not the same kind of out half as as Johnny Sexton is. So when he comes in, I think there has to be not alterations to the game plan, but it, they're different in how they lead. They're different in how they approach. Like Johnny Sexton came in and basically you know grabbed O'Gara's jersey off him. I don't think Joey Carberry has that kind of same ruthless. Well, he did lose it to him in the World Cup quarter final as well. Like that, that you know. Um uh, for the Australia game was it the Australia game we won it back and then he, he didn't see out the competition with it like there's definitely it, was, it wasn't uh, this happened one day the king is dead along with the king and that was it yeah and it's funny actually in, in Paris as well we've already started to have uh, Johnny Sexton cam just like we had Raj cam the, the cameras panned him a couple of times and he actually I was watching it back it didn't come across on TV but uh, he got booed roundly uh, the two times did he? by the French <laughs> yeah, right. absolutely which was I'm like, surprised they didn't keep going back to him then yeah so <laughs> you, 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 suddenly now you're having like Johnny Sexton cam and I've, I've listened to, to Ron O'Gara talk about this with you guys actually and you know it, when someone is kind of just looking over your shoulder a present and a personality is so big like that I'd imagine it can be quite difficult and this is Joey Carberry's challenge now and that's why I think a week like this when he's told you're a man lead the week like don't have it like really vague in his head that oh we'll see how Johnny Sexton's hamstring that's is that's exactly it isn't it back your man that's they can't go back to Sexton for the Italy game it makes no sense whatsoever you're taking away that opportunity that you're talking about but you're also taking away the opportunity to say you're right there now go for it mm-hmm. and that that is that that's what he's lacking. He's, he hasn't had a chance to build up the confidence because he hasn't been fit enough. And that's the reality of it. I think if Johnny Sexton had been starting in Paris, it, it, I don't necessarily think it would have made a big difference to, to the end result because I think you could have had Dan Carter in his prime playing in that first half and it wouldn't have made any difference at all because Ireland were getting monstered up front. The ball, the ruck ball was so slow. And actually Joey Carberry was a big reason why Ireland played their way back into the game, I thought. So um, if you're going to judge him off that performance, and like 
it's Italy as well at the end of the day like I'm sure once the players and coaches are coming out this week we're going to have to listen to how much of a threat they pose I had a look there earlier I think the bookies make it 40 points um, like we've got to be realistic about what the the scale of the challenge is and even if someone comes in and does play well I don't think anyone's going to get ahead of themselves either because unfortunately it is only Italy like I, I don't think they should play furlong in this game either Really, is there any is there any need for us to see what Tyke Furlong can do in this game? There's definitely some players who you're thinking, mm. like uh, it, in the long run, it probably won't make that much difference. But an extra week of rest for the England game might give Tyke Furlong an extra two percent or an extra three and a half minutes on the field against England at Twickenham, and that might be the difference between swinging the game and not swinging the game. Yeah, and you, you know what? Like we talk about the out half situation so often, but and that's kind of what the point of the piece I had in today's paper. I actually think there's a lot of positions in the Ireland squad where there's issues in the deck chart coming behind them. Um, I think tight head is absolutely one of them. I think loose head is one of them. I mean, for two props to play 73 minutes in the Stade de France, um, as impressive as it is, and you know, two like unbelievable players, like incredible fitness, and they were playing really well. That is a worrying sign for me, particularly when you come to a World Cup next year and you're going to be asking these guys you know, to be playing games every five days and you're, you're talking about a game against Scotland, a game against South Africa and potentially a World Cup quarterfinal against France or New Zealand. That is not sustainable to ask a tight head or a loose head to, yeah. to play that long. And you look at France rolling a, a new front row off the bench after 55 minutes, you know. So there are issues there. I think fullback is another one. I think in the second row, like... The, the fullback one isn't one that's been actually discussed very often because Hugo Keenan has been so good. Um, since he's made his debut in October 2020, he has played all 17 Ireland games, started every single one of them. I think he's been taken off three times um, and they've all been kind of after the hour mark late in the game. So as incredible as Hugo Keenan has been, his durability, his level of consistency so impressive. We don't know who Ireland's backup out ha- or at fullback is and that is an issue as well and my concern is that Andy Farrell is going to play Hugo Keenan again this week because I think the 23 players who were kept in camp last week that is where the bulk of the team for this week is going is going to come from I think the guys who were released back to their promises are on the back foot and Andy Farrell loves Hugo Keenan and like, like I said as good as he's been you've got to find out now who the backup players are? Who? Sorry, go on. I was going to say, like, who is that guy? Because, like, I mean, it does seem that Lowry is the one that everybody wants to see start, and Italy would be a perfect opportunity. But you do get the feeling that if this was a World Cup quarter final this weekend and Hugo Keenan gets injured, Lowry isn't the next man up. It would be uh, if Jordan Larmer was fit, it would, it would probably be him or, or somebody who has played at, at fullback for Ireland. And no matter who you threw in there, you'd be mm. seriously concerned, and that is that is the issue. Um, Unless it's Conway, I, I, I would. Conway. We've had Conway. this conversation a lot of times, and I'm totally, totally on board with it. But I just don't think it's it's going to happen at this stage. Um, you know, Jacob Stockdale, if he's fit, come to World Cup is another one who could come back in. Uh, I think Will Addison, all things being equal, but you just can't like build your hopes around a guy who's had that many injuries. Joey Carberry went there in November, which I thought was very telling in the Argentina game. Um, when he came, when Harry Byrne came on, Joey Carberry went to full back. That was one of the, the three games actually that Hugo Keenan uh, came off in. So I think you're right. Like this weekend, I think is made for for Michael Lowry. You've got to see what this guy is capable of, and he's been one of the best. Irish players this season yeah. it's not like he doesn't merit merit his chance you're not throwing out caps for, for the fun of it this guy has been 
outstanding this season. I think Jimmy O'Brien is like he's highly unlikely to feature this weekend, but he's a very very interesting addition to the to the squad as well. So there are a few issues there that I think really now is the time to to find out where the next next man in is. Um, that that uh, two day session, that twenty three man squad that you were talking about, who was in it? The starting team essentially. I mean, the, the squad of. The bulk of the 23 who played against uh, France would have been in it. So you're talking about all the the guys who've played two games, particularly who've started two games, are in it. They kept, um, I'd say, the likes of Rob Herring didn't go back to Ulster because Ronan Kelleher is out injured now. So he'll provide cover, you'd imagine, for for Dan Sheehan. And I think just, Ger, on your point about Tyg Furlan, I actually agree in principle with you, but I'm trying to put myself into Andy Farrell's head a little bit. And if you're going... Okay, we're going to start Dan Sheehan in his first Six Nations start again, albeit against Italy. You kind of want to see how he'll do with the the starting front row. Do you know what I mean? So I don't think you. It's unrealistic to think that Ireland are going to make fifteen changes, and if they did, they would still beat Italy well. I think, but I think you want if you're embedding players within the team. I think you want to see them. I get that. I do get that. I think that James Ryan should definitely play. I'm not sure about. Furlong, just because it's he's so important to us, but I I I can see the the case for it. But that then you get back to your case of like, uh, do we play Craig Casey? And actually, it would be good to see Craig Casey with sex and see what that looks like. And it's you can make the case on either side. You would just hope that the conservative nature of Irish selection over the last few decades is actually a thing of the past, and it feels like it has been. Like mm-hmm. the the Mac Hansen selection was. A bit left field. You had Tyke Byrne moving to six, I think, did you? Yeah, I, I just think it would be interesting. I don't think I'm a massive fan of Jack Cohn and I don't think he's been at his best uh, over the first two games. He's actually been taken off in, in both of them as well and they have gone this way with Caelan Doris at eight. I think Caelan Doris playing six at the moment is... I don't know how long that's going to last because in my mind, he's the best number eight in the country. But Jack Conan had the, the season of his life last year, got on the line sort played started all three tests and was one of the few players who actually enhances his reputation on the tour to South Africa so I think it would just be interesting you know there's a lot of talk about you know Ireland being overpowered and stuff and I don't think you you depower it by taking but by putting Ian Henderson into the second row because that's the one thing that people say that he's a tight head scrummager you know behind Furlong and whatnot. So I think it would be interesting to see that balance because I think Ty Byrne is undroppable at the moment. Um, he, he, it's just a question of where he plays. And I think Andy Farrell would be really keen to, to get Ian Henderson minutes. I think he'll be really keen to get Robbie Henshaw minutes. Um, I asked him last week at the press conference about the issue of you know the props playing that long. And you know he said it was his call. It was the, the feel of the game. They were playing really well. But I think the lack of impacts that he got off that bench is a big concern as well. I think, I think at the moment, when you look at that bench, particularly in Paris, Ian Henderson and Robbie Henshaw aside, even though there's an argument to be made that if they had been you know, more games under the belt, they could actually have been starting. But I think there's too many game managers on that bench rather than game changers. And I think that is a big, big issue. Sorry to use like the Eddie Jones kind of bluster term, but... But it's true. It's very true. Like, it, it's what... It's what O'Gara talks about. Yeah. You know? And yeah. I think like you look at that bench and you look at like someone like Peter O'Mahony, you look at Conor Murray, you look at Keen Healy. Th- these guys still have a role to play and I'm absolutely not downplay- downplaying that. But when you had a game that you needed to win you needed to up the tempo of, of what was going on so bringing Conor Murray on just doesn't really work I think like someone like Craig Casey I think 
Gavin Coombs just has to be started to, to be brought in. He's had a tricky tricky start to the season, but a guy like that, like he's made for Test rugby, like he's unbelievably physical. I think, like I said, he had issues. He got stuck in South Africa. He's one of those players who got caught up in COVID and, and things like that. So I think it would have been interesting if he had been able to build on last season. Because um, it, it's amazing that no one has really talked about the loss of CJ Stander in Munster because you have this guy who's coming through and he's a guy I think who could make a really big impact uh, if he's not starting off the bench and I think he needs to be brought through as well okay. Is that how you see the bench make up going over the next little while that Peter Mahoney and Conor Murray could be struggling to make the squad Well I think I, I think it will depend on the game I think if you're going to, to Twickenham I would be shocked if, if they're not on the bench like I mean you have this issue of like they're centrally contracted players um, and that does count for something that is the, the flaw within within the Irish system you know these guys are among the top 15 like 15 16 earners in the country um, it's so so rare to, that you see a centrally contracted player who is fit left out of an Ireland 23 and like I said that is one of the flaws of the system but if you want people to come on, guys to come on and change a game, I'm just not sure that like these type of that these type of players are, are able to do that. I think they can come on and close out a game. I think we're seeing that like in someone like Keen Healy, whose whose best days are behind him now. Like I mean, 35, he's unbelievable amount of mileage on the clock. He's been through some serious injuries, and. It, it's kind of unfair to compare it to France because you look at the depth, but you have to compare it to the, to the best teams in the world and what they're doing. You see how well that French front row played. Like they're arguably the, the best front row in the world right now, along with the Springboks, obviously. But they came off after 55. They came off after 55 minutes. We were banging on. Ireland were banging on about how we had the best front row in the world. And you're like, come on, this is, the, this is exactly the type of stuff that pisses people off because we're yeah. carried away. There's no special prize for it. We're probably third at best. Yeah, th- third at best. You have a hooker who's still finding his feet in international rugby. You have a loose head who's just after switching back to Yeah, come on. Head. What were we talking about? So, yeah, I think <laughs> it's. I think it's okay. Like, it's a, it's a kind of classic Irish thing. I think it's okay to acknowledge like that these guys are sensationally good, but they're we're not. We're very at, excited about them. Exactly, and there's every reason to be excited about them. But, but now but, what we've done is like any time they're not the best in the world, ah, we said they were the best in the world, they're not. Yeah. They're a disappointment. It's like, no, they're not. They're just learning. Uh, yeah, and that, that, is the, that is the classic kind of Irish and build them up to kind of knock them down. But there's every reason to be excited. But the issue is who's, who's coming, who's coming here? Fault. For it. <laughs> it's Gordon Darcy, I think, to put a, put a name on it. And, uh, and it was I, your fault. You, you were the one who was like, you lulled him into it. Uh, Stephen Kidd's speed green was uh, saying that the Irish front row is the, the best in the world. I'm, I'm just relaying information but, here. But guys. all the while, Ireland were winning games last year, predominantly at home. I think, you know, the, the talk was, oh, it would be great to see how they would go up against the Springboks because that is the ultimate test. But France right now are very, very close to what the Springboks are in terms of their physicality. Yeah. Um, like, they had a 6-2 split on the bench. Like that was their version of, of the bomb squad. Yeah. You know, so that was a test. And I think... Ireland ultimately failed it because they came up short and I don't think it was down to the, the, the starting props like I said getting 73 minutes out of them is remarkable but you need to see guys like Tom O'Toole like you know he, he, he's struggling to get his place in Ulster but like he's one you'd really like to see push through and you know someone like Dave Kilcoyne like we, we know what he's capable of and I think that would be the, the argument that Andy Farrell 
would make against against the discussion that we're having here. He would say, well, who are the guys that you want me to, to play? You know, it's not like you can throw... There, there isn't a whole bunch of young props coming through and that is an issue. And it's, it's a bigger issue for Irish rugby rather than directly to Andy Farrell, I think. Yeah, I do wonder if maybe that whole management of the props situation needs to be re-looked at where we actually send everybody away for a couple of years in their early 20s and see how they get on in... England and France but kind of have some kind of relationship with them like or it's obviously not it's not ideal that your first team plays all the big games and your first team provides the first and second choice for the international team as well as for Leinster so there's not actually enough opportunity for anybody else to come through in that scenario um we're getting better it definitely is better than it was in in previous years but I think when we were doing our depth charts Keith Wood made the point that like our second choice tight head is actually our first choice loose head in reality I know they're not going to change him back in the middle of a game but maybe they will in the that World Cup that is the fear that, like, that they actually could and if it came to a World Cup and you know Tyg Furlong got injured that is my fear that they would go to Andrew Porter whose, whose body size and everything has changed now because he's lost he shed down a lot of kilos to go back to loose head to allow him to get around the pitch more that is my major concern that they would say to Andrew Porter, OK, we need you to, to go back and suddenly Keane Healy is in and then you don't have this super dynamic front row. Like, it's the same, it's the same in Munster at the moment. Like, they have two really exciting tight heads who it feels like have been coming through for so long and Keenan Knox and Roman Salanoa, but they can't get in ahead of Stephen Archer and John Ryan because their scrummaging is deemed not up to, to standard at the moment. And that is, that's like a reflection, I think, of the bigger issue in Irish rugby at the moment that you just don't have a flood of exciting young props like Andrew Porter is the last one to come through when he was playing 20s you knew it was only a matter of time before this guy was playing international rugby and you don't get that sense I think at the moment with a lot of the guys in the system There were growing pains with Porter as well where the scrum would collapse and he would be getting penalised for it and it was two or three times a game not every game but like certainly you just have to you have to bite the bullet and say we're going to give you 10 games and at the end of that you're going to be part of the the cycle it, that doesn't happen if everybody plays 73 minutes and that, that's why it'll be interesting to see what happens this weekend Um is your instinct that Andy Farrell picks the team you've picked for him this morning and that Sexton starts? Uh, no, I, I have a feeling Joey Carberry will start uh, because Johnny Sexton wasn't involved in that session against the 20s, which would have been deemed their big session last week. Uh, they were a bit vague, as they always are, on the state of his hamstring. Um, like I said, it's a hamstring issue. Like, would you really risk that against no. Italy? Going, you've got England coming up in two weeks. I, I, I think it's mad that we're having this conversation to be honest with you like I just think it's a no-brainer to back to back Joey Carberry this week I would agree with that and I would actually say that you should back him against England as well because then you get a much better opportunity it's a three-game series where you get to see exactly what he's made of in three completely different situations and environments one where he's thrown in one where he's given the whole week and one where he's under pressure because Sexton's on the bench against England it's like well now we know a lot about you and whether or not you're totally ready to go or not but uh, we'll see alright um, are we going to win by 40 points this is the probably last time we'll talk to you before the game is that I'd be very surprised if Ireland don't, no matter what team if it's Johnny Sexton or Joey Carberry I'd be very surprised if they don't put a big big score this Italy team they're poor and they're also missing some, some key men in the pack so I'd imagine I think it'll be a very strong Ireland pack and I think they'll just monster Italy uh, pretty much as France did to, to Ireland in that first half a couple of weeks right. ago Keen, good stuff. Uh, the Aviva Prawn Sandwich Brigade is keeping the real fans out, says Dave. Maybe the Prawn Sandwich Brigade are the real fans. 
Are there prawn sandwiches at the Aviva? I'd love if there were actually. Yeah. Well, you wouldn't have full settings without them. It's wine and cheese, isn't it? That's what that's what Adrian Barry's having. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> nine minutes past nine this morning. OTBAM is brought to you by Gillette. Good morning. Start with Gillette. Put your best face forward with our new and improved razors. My thanks to Keen for joining us this morning. We've got Graham Hunter next. OTB AM. Eleven minutes past nine. I'm delighted to say Graham Hunter is with us. Graham, good morning. See you. How are you? This is my best face, and I'm putting it forward. Ah, excellent. Where are you? What's the sign behind you there? Yeah, the sign um, says uh, yes to ball games. I don't know if I can tilt it properly. Oh, yeah, excellent. It's the, the, De- the Dennis Law Legacy Trust in Aberdeen. Um, they went to the council and went, you're completely mad. Um, this is the city where Scotland's only golden uh, ball Ballon d'Or winner comes from. And you're putting up no to ball games and they negotiated with them. And they got not only taken down, but converted into yes to ball games. If you haven't done a little feature on the Dennis Law Legacy Trust and the work they do with street sport in Aberdeen, I promise you it will be rewarding for you in the future. Very good. Were you there to see the unveiling of Jim Goodwin? Uh, yeah, it's not a statue. He's a proper manager. Um, no, work at Barcelona kept me away from Jim's debut at Motherwell, um, but I'm going to be there this Friday when there is an unveiling of the Sir Alex Ferguson uh, statue at Pataudry, Fergie's going to be back at Pataudry for the first time in, I don't know, gazillions of years. And then we're going to beat the Arabs, Dundee United, uh, the following day. So, yeah, if you want to talk Aberdeen, I'll keep you going all day. Uh, very good. I, I, the, the bit of the Ferguson documentary where he's in Aberdeen is brilliant cinema. It's absolutely, the footage is class, just his attitude, just his personality, just the the fact that they're all training on like a park pitch. It's it's absolutely sensational. Well, well they're, they're training they're training on the Red Ash car park opposite uh, Petodri, which is where the Bayern Munich scout um, who then became their press chief, Marcus Herving, for twenty five years, saw them with his nose pressed up against the railings, looking at what was basically. I don't know if you've got Red Ash in Dublin or Ireland, but it's just like hard packed just before cement stuff that's lumpy and bumpy and can take cars been parked there every you know three four days and they, they either trade there or on the beach because until very recently they didn't have a dedicated training ground and a Bayern Munich van in uh, the cup winners cup winning year of 1983 was sent over he was one of the first PR men in, in Europe and he was asked to do scouting as well and Fergie saw him with his nose in, in that very space you're talking about where they were with the plane where you couldn't slide in otherwise you'd take the the skin right off your leg and uh, he, he, who are you what are you doing Marcus Herbeck explains on the Bayern Minute Man I've come to spy on you Fergie's like well don't be standing here get inside to Petodri get a cup of tea he, he sits down and he chats with him he says well, how long are you staying for so I'm coming down to your game at Parkhead which we won the next day he said you're staying in a, a B&B in Aberdeen Marcus Herbeck the Bayern Man yes he said well get ready at 7 we'll swim by in the team bus we'll pick you up and we'll drive you down to Glasgow so that wasn't in the film, but it should have been. And Jason Ferguson, who made the film on his dad, did a really good job. If you are two family members involved in making a documentary, normally you'd imagine the things that stand out are the things that are missed out. And instead he got his dad as open and as, as honest and as moving as I've ever seen him in my life. And I first met him in, I don't know, 79. So I didn't know about the row with his father either. That, that, that bit was, um, I can... It was brutal. It was brutal. Yeah, I can I can see where it came from, and I can understand that that's the character, and it certainly was. Uh, it was like I, I you know, because we all go, oh, at some point himself and Roy Keane will there, there'll be a rapprochement. No, there won't. When you watch the documentary, like, there won't be any rapprochement. This guy. No, no. I tell you, I tell you, you know, I didn't know the details of the row at all, but I do. I do remember Alex's brother Martin telling me about growing up and the degree to which 
having his dad's favour was so important to young Alec Ferguson. And Martin told me, Martin, who's younger than Alec by, I don't know, what is it, a year, two years, um, said that it's, it's now famous because Alex talked about it so much that their father was a shipbuilder and they lived in Govan near to the yards and young Martin would collect anything, anything balsa, any lollipop stick, anything so he could craft it together into a ship. And as a little one, four or five years old, he built this ship out of any piece of wood he could get. And, and his dad came out from the yards and, and Martin went to his dad, look, look, dad, look what I built. I built one of your ships. That's, ah, that's good, son. That's really good. Good work, son. Pat in the head, off through to get his tea. And Alec pinched the ship off his brother there and then and stamped on it, stamped on it to smithereens because Martin had, had taken dad's favour. Um so this is why Martin referred to Alec as the Führer for many years. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that is a great story. Let's talk a little bit about Barcelona. Um, looking at the team that was picked over the last week or two, I'm like, oh, this is championship manager stuff where he's just picked whatever he can get. He's They've gone, they've, they've acquired, and then the team starts to play really good football and score loads of goals. I'm like, okay, well, maybe Xavi knows a bit more about team building than we suspected. Um, it's It's been unorthodox, like the the signing of Aubameyang, it looked like trouble. But maybe Xavi just feels like he knows what what the mercurial footballer, having played with a gazillion of them throughout his life, he feels like he can manage those players. No, listen, no, I think you're right. First, first of all, it needs must. You, the normal criteria don't apply. If you're arguing because he scored a hat trick and he looks happy. Aubameyang is not the guy who puts 4,000 Swarovski crystals in his line boots or jets off to Milan for a pal's birthday, which he did at Dortmund when the manager said you can't go or comes back late from the trip to France that Arteta finally bins him for. Because, you know, it, it is underreported at the moment and, and, and probably correctly so. That Arsenal effectively, if they didn't sack him, it's the next best thing in legal terms. He's stripped the captaincy, he's dropped, he's left behind when they go on one of the training and they let him go an asset. He is an asset, was an asset. They let him go for free. Um, and this is a Bamiyan who um, I don't think has ever... I am unaware of any manager other than Arteta saying, I've had enough. What is clear is that a Bamiyan, uh, lives with a jaunty swagger about my goals and my pace mean that in certain areas I can do what I like. And I can do what I like because really the things I'm doing are not outrageous things that affect my fitness. They just mean living hard, living because I'm rich, living because I'm born with a gene in me that says, take me or leave me, I don't care. Now, I'd be a hypocrite if I didn't say that I was born with a little bit of that and I'd be a hypocrite if I just slammed that. But managers will say, there's the line. And Arteta's quote in the latter two months of Aubameyang's time at Arsenal about there are certain players that are scoring 35 goals a season where you have to bend the rules. And he's right. Alec Ferguson, who you're talking about, did it for Cantona. He changed his attitude about dress codes, about um, jokes, about the, you know, the Kung Fu kick at Crystal Palace, which the, the boy deserved, by the way. Aubameyang, Barcelona is in that state of grace because they didn't have a nine. Now they've got a nine. He's in good nick. He's quick. Um, in terms of athletic prowess, he doesn't look like 32 going on 33. He still looks and behaves like a 27, 28-year-old. Now on the pitch, that's 
That's catnip for Barcelona. They had to have it, irrespective of the fact he got a couple and was accredited with the third, which wasn't his goal, um, away at Valencia at the weekend. He he transforms this team. And you talk about championship manager and whatever. The, 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 the difference, the two differences, lads, would be they've signed specific needs. There's no guarantee that Adama is going to stay. And, and for my taste, he's still a limited player. But the things he does well, one, have improved while he's been in England a lot. And two, in certain games, again, will be catnip to Barcelona. So, and, and Ferran Torres, the goals will come. His play has been pretty good. The long and short of it is the training has been astonishing. I mean, literally astonishing. We get more access to it. When you watch it, the way in which it's... It, 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 it's it's like 15th century um, painting compared to, I don't know, Picasso or Rembrandt. It, it's a complete change from uh, the last two coaches, particularly under Koeman. It's active, it's, uh, it's witty, it's got the players' minds and um, athletic um, endeavours engaged. It's all about speed, quickness of thought, quickness of movement. It, the, the changes between the training sessions are short, everything's intense. There's been a personality change about their working days. And you see that on the pitch gradually, particularly from those players whose talent is absolutely innate, but they lack certain experiences. So what, what's coming, I said um, on a podcast I did um, for the big interview on Friday, somebody's going to get a pasting soon. How is Valencia and Barcelona are not at the stage where they're going to paste everybody because there remain flaws and it remains an early work project. But certain teams throughout the remainder of this season will take pastings because Barcelona are increasingly quick and clever. And when you've got a bench player like Luke de Jong suddenly getting crosses sent into him, again, catnip again, there's resources on the bench, there's a good first 11, and there's, a, there's just an outstanding atmosphere between the squad and Xavi right now. That that change in the training is is very interesting. Is 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 Xavi just bringing what Pep brought? Is that too simplistic? It's just because his CV, I guess, is is one line managerial wise before this. So his, I guess, his experiences, the the uh, the amount of time he had to be a sponge, I guess, is limited post his playing days in in Barcelona. So what so what's informing this change? No, oh, and the the the, the objective has similarities to what Pep wanted, what Xavi wants. There are similarities. The training sessions couldn't be more different. Right. He came, but came into a side which was hard-bitten, which was experienced, where already you just about knew your best 11 instantly. There were no 17-year-olds dominating like Gabby's doing or 19-year-olds dominating like Pedri's doing. It wasn't a, a mismatch of jumble sale purchases like Jer was talking about. He came in and went, you lot are underperforming. You lot are under-training. It's harsh. And I want positional football. So the, the stories from St Andrews that first pep um, summer were about players queuing up to Joanne Laporta to say, "I'm leaving. I won't be talked to like that. I won't be ta- I won't be handled on the you know because you both know now it does not happen at City now because the players are in the mindset and they, they, they understand the strategies are established. He was coming on and he was hauling players. I want you a half turn this way. You, you need half a meter that way." And hands-on those players and the way he was talking to them, Abidal, Thierry Henry, Marcus, there, there was a queue of players going to Joan Laporta going, no, I'm not having this. And then Laporta said, be patient, and it clicked. And, and Chavi's sessions aren't happy, clappy, Billy Graham, evangelical nonsense. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that he understood that this was a, a squad which 
was beaten down, had not a losing mentality, but were becoming accustomed to being crapped on in the papers, performing poorly against big sides. There's a big black cloud over every head. So you watch it now. It's it's all inventive stuff where there's, there's constant exercises about individual excellence, about group excellence. So you see lots of pictures from training grounds all around Europe where you go like, here's the winning five. We've played fives today. Or this is the team that won. And it's a little bit... Apart from the strategic tactical stuff and the small-sided games and rondos, what Chabi's doing is is building confidence, um, speed of thought, um, first touch, um, teamwork, um, bonds, friendships, because you both know, all of your viewers know that what you do in the training isn't always reflected in, in life outside. It's like work here, tolerate something. There were not cliques, but there were groups in that squad who had vastly different nationality, age, experience, and there was no connection. And he's bridging it. It's like putting the synapses together. So look, you said what informs it. He spent a lot of time at the Aspire Academy in Qatar working on how to inspire players that were less experienced than he was used to, less talented, some at the end of his career. Every one of them in his squad, apart from Santi Casola, not having Chabi's knowledge. And he and his brother worked out systems where they could get their concepts across to people without you know, a pedagogical, pedagogical idea, but in terms of um, don't show them, do it, and then revise and do it. And you have to engage people. You have to make sure that they're Listen, at this stage, you know, Ch- Chabi has a hard side. He is not a pushover, but he's not Pep. He's, they, they played together, they they won together, but they're very different characters. And I think it takes a loop right back to Arteta, although he's a Basque, was in the same squad as Chabi, was, went left after his year when he was the best foreign player in France at PSG, left Barcelona for Rangers because Chabi, amongst others, were in his way. They looked the same Saturnine dark, similar ages, similar experiences, but completely different in terms of flexibility. Arteta is much more like Pep. It's it's this, it's this way. Very little movement. Chabi's different. It doesn't mean he's soft, but he's clever and he's in a very difficult situation. And therefore, the progress he's achieved is I don't care whether they, you know, lift the Europa League, which people will say they should do. I'm not that. I spoke to him after the Napoli game. Eh? He saw me and he, he went, "How's it going, M- uh, Mackie?" And I was like, "Brilliant. I'm enjoying my football." And he stopped. Went, oh, I'm, I'm pleased about that because what he's getting at the moment, I'm like, "Why aren't you scoring more?" Or this player, that player. I told him the truth. I, you know, I'm enjoying watching Barcelona after it's been pretty tortuous for a couple of seasons, and the, the club behaviour has been tortuous for five seasons. It is now, it's just, they're just a fun watch. And if they're not your club and they're not your colours and you're attracted to watching English football or the Bundesliga or Syria, I would tell you, catch them now. It's not 2011 peak Messi, but it is fun. That sounds good. Everybody's booking flights to Barcelona to go and see the team again. <laughs> mm, you yeah, might get the full game. I, yeah, Cummins <laughs> yeah, Barcelona, not, uh, not, not the, the perfect time for uh, bucket list stuff. <laughs> you wouldn't say um, can we talk a little bit about Atletico and, and uh, what's going on with them at the moment is this is this late stage of this era is it just a, a little blip or is this the bit where they they see it a, a supposedly I don't want to say superior but they see they see a big name riding into town and they 
they uh, get the band back together and um, it's a magnificent seven their way through this tie well um, a lot of it depends on um, they've got constant trouble with injury and COVID tests and one of the absolute absolute certainties is that when Jimenez the Uruguayan and Savic who was at City remember played together in the defence Atleti are better in fact there's a likelihood that they won't lose They've only coincided in the team 12 times this season in the league um, because of injuries and suspension. And when they play together, generally, you, you go, oh, I recognise this. And look, John Oblak hasn't thrown one in. And there are other players are playing with more confidence in the ball because they know he's behind them. Um, absolute perfection? No, but different class because... Felipe as a central defender isn't good enough, simply isn't good enough. If Manchester United see Felipe lining up against them um, tomorrow night, then, you know, they should get themselves an extra couple of Stellas out. Um, I would have said that there's a a material difference in how sharp Luis Suarez is this season and how well he's served compared to last season. Last season, he was, he, he belied his age. He was by far the leading scorer. He still couldn't, you know, back last season, outsprint people playing the shoulder with a high line defence and, and run beyond them. No, but he was fired by this revenge idea of I'll show Barcelona I was treated like, well, I'll show the president I was treated like rubbish. After all I've given them, I will show them. Now that fires lots of people. It fires a world class Uruguay and more than most. That has diminished their injury records in poor. And the worst thing of all is that because of the way in which Cholo Simeone regularly plays three different formations within the one game, the team look confused. They look less than the sum of the parts. And Oblak is having his worst season. Does it suddenly all stiffen and get right for tomorrow night? No, not all of it. They'll be missing players that are unsure if Neymar is going to be fit. Jimenez, they're having to be careful of when he is essential. There's an interview today with Savage saying, yeah, we missed Trippier. We didn't expect him to go. We're, we're, we're worse without him. So there are, you, it's been death by a thousand cuts so far. Um, but one thing you can say for sure, Simeone hasn't helped his own team. This has not been a state of grace year. It has felt like, whether consciously or subconsciously, he has been smoking a cigar. Um, best paid coach in world football, two titles, the most successful athletic manager ever, new young wife, new young family. There's been a drop of concentration. Point full stop. Is that terminal? Is that is that the end of this relationship? And actually he goes somewhere else, takes a couple of years out, comes back. Like what what's the future for him? Where? Where is the big question? You know, he's been offered jobs in England, particularly at Chelsea, on numerous occasions. His assistant, who's now departed and gone to other jobs, German Burgos, the goalkeeper in you know, the W in 96, and his assistant during the, you know, the vast part of the success at Let, he could speak English, wanted to go. Jonas Swimming only tried and tried and tried to learn English. Couldn't, or hasn't, but couldn't is a, is a useful word. Italy, obviously, is a place that beckons him. And the, the two really obvious teams where he played, two of the teams, not the only teams he played in Italy, would be uh, Lazio and Inter. Inter are, are, are pretty bust financially. Um, I'm not certain that he fancies it. It would be a salary drop, a massive salary drop. In terms of that renewal thing you're asking, well, I think, knowing you two, I think you would do it. I would do it. I would go, yeah, okay. I'm vastly wealthy. A salary drop is not the end of the world if it means renewal, new challenges, an extra part of my CV. 
I don't think he's motivated by that at the moment. You know, in real terms, he's still a relatively young manager. I stress again that he's got a different now and, and patently happy family life. Um, and therefore, I don't think he's motivated yet by saying England or Italy. I don't think he's capable of getting across his... Do you remember what Gary Neville said about his time at Valencia? That it took him, you know, a couple of training sessions to, to realise, I can't get this across through our translator. That's something that applies to many coaches, but it specifically applies to Cholo Simeone. He's a very one-on-one coach with his players. He needs to engage them. It's not simply about the tactics. It's certainly not about him being a martinet. He's demanding. But the one-on-one relationships are what's helped build his atleti and his image. And at the moment, both the image of the team and the image of Cholo Simeone are diminished. And I don't think so, Jar. but... Their debt situation is such that if they do not get in the Champions League next season or go to the final, the review will be the sternest in all the, what, 11 years, is it now? 12 years or 11 years that Joe Simeone's been at Atleti. It's been a fairly remarkable career. Like, If there's, a, if there's another act, it would be fairly incredible for him to be able to... Um to pull that off I, I had one last question about the Real Madrid and the Mbappe and the Haaland stuff it's like uh, correct me if I'm wrong but in, in previous years when they would have been chasing in the Galactico era we kind of would have known that something was definitely happening by this stage that there was like a they let the rumours go out and the rumour and the power yeah. and the prestige of the club was so great that it became this kind of unstoppable momentum that doesn't quite seem to be the case at the moment with Haaland or Mbappe and maybe I'm wrong that's, that, I suppose that's my question is does it feel like there's an unstoppable momentum behind one of the, the superstar global strikers coming next season? Well I, I, I think that if you're talking about them as a joint operation which Madrid definitely want to do and Javier Tebas to Liga the president said, you know, Madrid will get them both because Juventus and Barcelona haven't got the money. Um, he didn't mention Manchester City or Chelsea in the case of Haaland, which I think was was missing out two big candidates. But to, to do an operation like that would be one of the most extraordinary summers that any club has ever had. Um, to find the money for those two, to persuade both of them to share a dressing room, to share the spotlight, would be a big operation. So... I'm not surprised that the idea of getting them both hasn't got that feeling of inevitability right now, particularly while Holland's injured and particularly while, you know, they're two, they're two pretty distinct cases in that the world wants Erling Haaland and most of the world are queuing up thinking we can do this deal. The world would love Mbappe. Let's talk about, maybe talking about six, seven top clubs. And yet, there is a feeling of inevitability around the transfer market that unless something untoward happens, Mbappe's going to Madrid. But I take your point still with him in that there are consistent stories, one, about Mbappe having been unimpressed with the way in which Real Madrid played against them last week. And you can understand because they were embarrassing. My personal opinion is that his entourage will be weighing up whether how many times Carlo Ancelotti can perform like that and still keep his job. In my opinion, knowing Florentino Perez... Carlo Ancelotti, after last week in Paris, is on a booking. Two yellows, and it's a red. That's not simply because they lost 1-0, but the image of Real Madrid was genuinely embarrassing. It's a long time since they've played that badly in an important match. And 
if it undermined Mbappe's feeling about, you know, if the people at Paris Saint-Germain who allegedly are going to make him by far the most rewarded footballer there's ever been, ever, and they're not saying to him, do you really want to go and play that football? Then you'd be surprised. It would be the right message to be giving him if you want to retain Mbappe. But again, for my taste, um, I think that Mbappe's mind is largely made up. Absolutely done deal. Um, maybe not. There's a lot of time to go between now and, and the summer. But in my opinion, mentally, he's taken a decision. Haaland is a different matter because trying to persuade him to... I think Barcelona, Manchester City and Chelsea have to be candidates for Haaland. Have to be. But the idea that Barcelona are selling him, we will be in the Champions League. We can pay you the wages that Rovindad are offering you. And we want you to oppose the Mbappe era. You're an outsider. Don't go and join them. Be with us and we'll go head-to-head with him. We'll go head-to-head with Real Madrid. You'll be the inheritor of the Messi spotlight. Not the play, the spotlight. Oppose him. Don't go with Mbappe. That's what they're trying. And and who can blame them? It's the right message to give to Holland. Whether he thinks that he wants to be part of a a very junior project with 19-year-olds and 17-year-olds and 18-year-olds, I don't know. But you can see the attractiveness of saying, let's build the new Cristiano Messi across Spain with Mbappe over there and you here. It's a message. It's a spiel. Yeah, it's like uh, Real Madrid are saying it can be Pushkas and Di Stefano and Barcelona yes. saying uh, you can be the Cruyff of your generation or the Messi. For, for, for sure, you, you, when, you, when all the pay packets are largely equaled, for a long time now, we've been talking about living conditions. What What's it like? Do you, do you want to be, remember Ronaldinho? <laughs> Ultimately, when, um, who's your man at Peter, uh, uh, at Manchester United, came back from meeting Paris Saint-Germain and then faxed a different offer and it all kind of broke down and, and uh, Sandra Rosé from Barcelona said, Ronnie, do you really want to live in the rain? And Ronaldinho eventually went, no, I don't. And that was 2003, and he went out and said it. That was a factor. So for the longest time, lifestyle has been sold as part of the package when the pay packets are, are more or less equal. And ego is in there. You know, do you want to go to Messi's club? Do you want to wear the, the blogger? Equally for Real Madrid, they, they are saying, as you said, join up. We'll rule the world. You and Mbappe and Benzema, nobody will stop us. It's it's another twist to step in. These are sexy messages. with wouldn't you like to be Erling Holland right now? Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's a good choice to have. Graham, great stuff. Enjoy the unveiling of the uh, the statue and, and your chats with Fergie. Thanks a million. It's, it's, not, my, it's not a statue to me yet. <laughs> give, it, give it another couple of bucks. You'll get there. I like, I like your attitude. Thanks a million. Enjoy the games. Cheers. Um, yeah. What would you do? If I was who? Haaland. If I was Haaland... I would try and go to Manchester City. Would you? Yeah. Would you? The Ronaldinho thing is... Soulless. I didn't know this about you, but you're revealing yourself here. The Ronaldinho thing is different because Ronaldinho has a soul. Uh, Well, uh, Haaland obviously comes from a a climate where that won't make that much difference, but maybe, you know, it makes all the more difference. Like, you're going to have to go back and live in Norway at some point, so... Yeah, no, I'm a purely... If you're talking about purely footballing levels and wanting to win the Champions League next season... No, we're talking about like where do you want to go and be the be the one where they they chant your name three decades hence, 
where they will you will be forever stitched into the fabric of that great club this super club mm-hmm. is going to take you and go we're elevating you beyond you're like oh Man City that's exactly what I want what? give me those petrol dollars back up the Brinks truck where do you want to mm, Blue Moon <laughs> I always, I always dreamed of being serenaded by Blue Moon. Yes, because because all the other sponsors around Europe are so positive as well. Uh, but no, in fairness, you you, you make I, I see the point you're making, but also with the counterpoint to that is that Manchester City are the best team in Europe, and you could win a Champions League next season, and then you could win another Champions League the season after that, and then you know what you're what you're 26, 27, and it's like, oh Barcelona are good again. I can I can do five six years here and become a semi club legend, and everybody will think that I'm. Uh, and everybody will think I'm great and I can win a Champions League there as well because they're ready to win then your secondary though the, the, it's the other people who did it who will be the ones who are remembered most but you'd have done it in two different clubs yeah okay so soulless own win plumps for Man City over What's the lifestyle the, in Barca or Real Madrid oh well if, it's, if we're talking about lifestyle then absolutely I mean the, no, we're talking about everything I asked you everything it's like you, yeah. you went to City give me the glory hook it to my veins well football is quite important when it comes to I'm an imperialist death star he I says. am an imperialist that's there yeah. 9.40 this morning OTBAM brought to you by Gillette Good morning Start with Gillette Put your best face forward with their new and improved razors These Death Stars will be back tomorrow in- OTB AM With Gillette Put your best face forward with our new and improved razors